Yo. Mic check, mic check. Mic check, mic check. Can you hear me? I'm learning. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. All right. Oh, man, it worked. <laughs> See? Yes. See, I told you. I told you. <laughs> Lady, ladies and gentlemen, we got a short dog in the house. Yeah, <laughs> you um, got jokes. We, we 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 have to go through um his his uh he he has to call me through his iPad because there's too much fan club in the phone. It's a lot of stuff on the phone, man. Like you know, apps and shit. It's you know, it's a new world, so people live on their phones. I'm just playing and learn. It's good to hear from you, man. It's good to hear yeah. from you. So, I'm ladies and gents, I'm I'm good, man. I'm I'm just really thankful for your time, bro. I know that you're, you're. I know that you're a busy cat, so it's really an honor to sit down and and and, uh, and chat with you, man, and get your story out there. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. I appreciate you, brother. Ladies and gents, this is Andy Podcast, and um, you know, one of the main reasons why I started this podcast is to definitely highlight the MCs that I've met in this journey. Now, when you hit the road. You meet a lot of cats along the way, but only a few stand out, you know? Like, there's only a few that's really going to stand the test of time and, and achieve longevity. And without no further ado, this MC right here, man, I met him while I was on tour in 2015 um, with Bonnie Blue, and I met him at a spot called Honey Hive Gallery in San Francisco. Yes, sir. And me and the homie have been building since, th- from San Diego to Frisco, and... Mm-hmm. Ladies and gents, he's an incredible MC, songwriter, a producer, an educator for the school districts and the juvenile centers in San Francisco. He's also a podcast host, a radio show host. Um, He's also the vice president of the Zulu Nation San Francisco chapter. Definitely had made his rounds in in New York hip hop. Been on tour in the Lyricist Lounge tour with Daddy Kane. Uh, Been on studios with Fat Joe, Big Pun. Oh, man, I can keep going on and on. Um, he's also an educator for today's Future Sound. Um, he's a host for Hip Hop for Change Radio for KPOO 89.5. Podcast host for Ratchet and Wolf. Man, um, the new album, The Light Years album, is now out. And, um, man, he got music videos out, like the new Rock Him. He's open for J Electronica, director for Hip Hop for Change, and the catalog and the, the accolades go on and on. Ladies and gentlemen, we got Unlearn the World. What up? My guy, my guy. Peace to you. Thank you for that intro. It's beautiful. Man. Thank you. Um, no, no doubt, dog. Like, so Unlearn, man. I always, I, I know the time's limited and we got a lot of ground to cover with you, bro. Your, your story is a trip. You ever trip out on your story? Every day of my life, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Every day of my life, I'm tripping. I, I'm my, sure that mm-hmm. my birthday tomorrow, by the way. <laughs> so it's like you know. It's, it's oh one of my! Those... <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, dead ass, dead ass. My wow. birthday's tomorrow, so it's it's an appropriate time for self reflection. Oh my god! I caught you at a perfect time. Exactly. And ladies and gents, you know why me and uh, Unlearn Click is because we got the same name. His name is yep. Marlon, just like my me. name is Marlon. That's right. <laughs> so. Unlearn, man. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover with you, and I I like to take it back to day one to really give the listeners an understanding about your evolution, man. Um, your Dominican roots is deep, right? Mom and dad's both Dominican. That's right. Both from the Dominican Republic. Both from uh, Santo Domingo. Yeah. Now, from the research I've done, you were born and raised in New York, right? That's correct. 
So how did mom and dad from Dominican Republic even end up in NY? Can you take me to day one real quick? How did they meet in NY? How did they end up there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's part of any immigrant experience, you know what I'm saying? Like you being Filipino, right? Mm -hmm. and, and your parents and your, your or your grandparents having migrated from an island country into America, they just happened to come to California where a lot of Filipinos find communities, you know what I'm saying? Whether it's mm -hmm. San Diego or the Bay Area or LA, you know what I'm saying? So for Dominicans, as we got out of the the 60s right and then and the, the the toppling of the dictator trujillo who was the dictator in dominican republic you had a lot of dominicans who were starting to flee the island to find better lives in the united states or other places um mm. so over the over like as we get into the 60s actually into the 70s more so than anything else 70s into the 80s as we get into the 70s into the 80s you start to get a, a more of an influx of dominican immigrants coming from the island of the dominican republic into mm. new york city you know what mm. i'm saying into places like new york um some of them going down south to maryland some of them go down to miami or other parts of florida you know what i'm saying but in new york there's a humongous community of dominicans who have been coming and migrating back and forth since the 70s so my parents were a part of that wave you know what i'm saying from what i understand my parents met in medical school they fell in love or whatever the case was and they 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 came out here to this country kind of almost together or back to back you know what i mean uh, in the late 70s early 80s and you know had me and that's where the story begins <laughs> you got siblings somewhere yeah i got five brothers and one sister so shout out to all of them um, Every, yeah, they're they're back in NY or are they spread out? Spread uh, out they're, the US? they're spread out. I got a brother in LA. I got a brother. I got a couple of brothers in New York. I got a brother who lives in Jersey. Um, you know, my sister lives in like Connecticut or something. You know, so we're yeah, we're we're scattered all over the place. No doubt. And by the way, ladies and gents, the new album The Light Years is now out. Um, in all my phone. Spotify users, Apple users, I just want to throw that out there. One of my favorite joints is Moonlit. Um, uh, check out the Bandcamp. Um, you know he got the barcode mixtape out, yeah. the new era mixtape, uh, the algorithms beat tape. Um, Man, you've been doing your research, bro. Like no you got doubt. the whole catalog. Yeah, yeah. No oh. doubt. The algo algorithms for alchemy. The beat tape's really incredible. So before we get there, man, like, so. <laughs> Uh, by the way, um, your your interview with conservator conservator uh, it was a two hour. Yeah, yeah. He, it was really it was really funny, man. You guys were fucking hilarious, bro. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like, funny guy. <laughs> nah, you you was you you're, you're really you're you're speaking the truth on that. <laughs> um, you're like, I'm getting more books. I'm better than you, motherfucker. There ain't no pay to play. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, you know, you, know, I, you you have to flex sometimes because I think that people, I think artists in general right like we make excuses for ourselves as to mm. why we are where we are right we look at mm. if we're underground rappers we start to point and say all oh, the mainstreams like this and like that as if we didn't want to be there like that, mm. that's not you know what i'm saying and i think in all too often we we we, we do that with with other artists like oh he's opening up for so and so he might have had to do pay and play and i don't it's like nah you just you're making excuses for for your lack of either drive or your mm. lack of talent, you know what I'm saying? Because mm. it, it, it has to be one or the other, you know. I, I think I think in most cases, you know, most artists are either underfunded or they're undermotivated, you know. So mm. it just speak you, on it. You gotta you gotta figure it out at a certain point. If you if you really sit down with yourself and say, I I I really want to do this for a living. I believe in mm. my skill enough that I can sustain myself 
to do this for a living that's a gamble you know what i'm saying there's mm. nothing guaranteed in life especially in this music industry there's less guarantees so if, oh, you're, if you're putting Speak. that if you're putting that on yourself you got to gamble on yourself that you dope enough to go through the rigmarole no one's gonna say it's easy they ain't great looks you know what i'm saying my life is in peaches and cream as many people as i've opened for you know what i'm saying i've i've, I've failed miserably i've been <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I've been in the Def Jam office and had them tell me, nope, that's not it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I've been in the big name record labels and, and played them my demos and had them just kind of with the with, with just regular <laughs> board faces. And I've had to eat that as, as an MC. You had to like learn from that experience on what they're looking for versus what you are and have those those moments of reconciliation with yourself. So I've had that on high levels and I was blessed to have that early on in my life. So I've learned from those experiences and I've kind of fine-tuned not only my approach to creativity, but my approach to creativity as a career. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've, I've found a, 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 what I would like to think is a very authentic path for myself as an educator and as a hip-hop artist still remaining culturally relevant by putting out music and putting out product that's quality. But then also helping the next generation to have a better chance at obtaining their success and their level of, of authenticity and their their um what's the word I'm looking for their self actualization, Amen. giving them giving them a better set chance of self actualization and authenticity than I may have been given in my life in my youth. You know what I mean? So you know it, it's it's doing what I do, but also paying it forward to the next generation, which I think is kind of like um, understated in this culture. You're the man, bro. Um, I did my research, man. I learned, like, I know in your in your interviews and in the in the blog sites, um, I know you've mentioned a couple times that you were raised by Jewish parents, right? Like your stepmom was Jewish. Yes, the woman who raised me until I was about thirteen was was it was mm. a white Jewish woman. Yeah. Um, you know, it was it's it's interesting. Uh, you know. My parents split up when I was very, very young. And then my father went to go and, and be with this woman. And when they split up, I ended up staying with her. And she raised mm -hmm. me until I was about 13. And then I, I, at that point, I decided to go live with my real mother and, 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 and initiate a relationship with my father. Nice. So why Washington Heights? How did how did you guys end up in Washington Heights, Harlem area? Yeah. Was that a uh, was that a move from pops or moms? Or I think yeah, I think just you know going back to the immigrant experience of my parents, right? The the community that was welcoming Dominicans was Washington Heights. Washington Heights, like I I don't know what it is in San Diego in terms of Filipinos or or in mm -hmm. LA um, for you know other ethnic groups, but you know every mm -hmm. ethnic group were in, in in any major city has their little mm. section you know what i'm saying mm. you go to downtown uh san francisco in certain parts of the tenderloin you have the filipino community you go to the mission in san francisco you have the mexican community you know what i'm saying like every culture or ethnicity kind of finds their part of town washington heights just happened to be the part of town for not only dominicans but ironically or coincidentally enough for jewish people so on one side of of washington heights you had jewish people who were extremely religious and orthodox and whatever the case is and on the other side of it was you know uh uh mini dominican republic <laughs> you know what i'm saying with the, with the merengue and the salsa playing and the mm -hmm. and the stores outside and the, and the old folks playing dominoes and the, and the dude drinking beer on the on the steps you had all of that all in the same neighborhood you know washington heights harlem was down the street literally um, yeah <laughs> so what how so what year were you born my g uh, 1981 1981 
man, 80s baby just like me. Yep. So like, so dog, growing up in late 80s, early 90s, NY, Washington Heights, Harlem, bro, what was going on in New York in your childhood, adolescence? Like, what was it like? Yo, what, how was NY, bro? Yeah. Like from, from how you remember it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's interesting because it's like, they make documentaries on what I lived. Like they make documentaries on things that I experienced. You know what I'm saying? They make movies on things that I, I took for granted as a kid. It doesn't mean like I was playing a role in any of this, but like a lot of the things that we take for granted in pop culture that come from the history of New York or the history of hip hop are things that I just saw as a kid. You know what I'm saying? Whether it was like the real life paid in full and how that showed up in the news. I remember that. Um, you know, the movie When They See Us, I remember being a kid and watching the actual news film of those kids being arrested and what the trial was and all of these different things, like, you know, the Central Park Five. So, being the epicenter of a, of a lot of things when it comes to American culture, when it comes to uh, United States as a whole, you know, over the, the these, these really big decades, the 80s and 90s, there was so much going on that I just absorbed or I was, I was, uh, <coughs> in proximity to you know what i'm saying like right i was i was close to so it was mm -hmm. it, it, it was uh an enlightening thing it was very interesting like one one of, one of the things i i particularly appreciate about my upbringing is that i grew up literally two blocks from where malcolm x was assassinated right that that's that's a chunk of not only black history but american history that shifted crazy, <laughs> that literally shifted the trajectory Ooh. of the civil rights movement one way or another his assassination and how that related to the civil rights struggle and all of that that's down the block from my house you know what i'm saying now that that's something that you kind of walk away and be you're you're aware of i went to school my high school years were in times square so imagine like the epicenter of what people imagine new york to be is literally where i go to high school you know what I'm saying? Like MTV is across the street from my school, bro. Like, <laughs> so is all these Broadway shows. Like that, that, that was never taken, I, that was never lost on me. I, I never took it for granted. I recognized how important it was to be where I was, Fuck. when I was. Like I knew that I was Woo. living history. You know what I'm saying? And maybe that's just my own self-perception of life, but I knew that everything that I was experiencing at the time I was experiencing it was in fact part of history and that 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 experience was going to often inform the way that I think and the way that I approach life by the way man I'm so proud of you and everything you've accomplished in, in, in the Bay of New York man like you, man. it's been the ple it's been the pleasure building with you I appreciate that. Um, thank you ladies and gents I got a chance to do San Francisco a couple times in my life uh, these past few five years the first time I met and learned was through my homegirl Bonnie Blue we Bonnie went on Blue. tour yeah shouts to Bonnie Blue that's the first time I met and learned from there we kept building and I went back again for Hip Hop Society yeah. and and unlearn always he always helped me and my peoples out if me and my peoples are coming from cali he always made things happen for us booked the venue he always made it happen and when he got a chance to go to san diego i got a chance to see unlearn show in sd when you came out here i partied with you that one night remember when you yeah, came out to sd yeah that was good times that was, dog that was good time for real <laughs> um so dog 
What is your earliest recollection of hip hop, especially in NY? Hip hop culture is right across the backyard, bro. Like, right. like what's what's the first song or first moment that really stuck to you as far as hip hop? Um, what, what did you hear? Yeah, I would have to say my my first experiences of hip hop have to do with my big brother, my older brother Eric, who was always mm. listening to um to 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 rap records in in the house and wearing like Adidas mm. jumpsuits to go outside mm. and hang out with his friends and play basketball, mm-hmm. whatever the case is. So I remember him rapping um, like uh, uh, Milk D Audio 2. Giz is chilling, yeah. Giz is chilling. <laughs> or can I, I remember him doing that. I remember being That's like- That's what we got, we exactly. got I remember being, or it takes two to make a thing go right. Like Rob Bass, like I remember those records yeah. and, and my brother like dancing to those records and his older and his friends <laughs> dancing to those records. When I was young, I also remember being in like fourth or fifth grade and sleeping in my bed with Walkman that had, a, it was a, with a, with a rap cassette tape my mother gave me and listening, literally I was listening to Rakim Eric B for president on repeat yeah. like li- like over and over and over i would the, the song the, the album had maybe 10 different songs from various artists on it and i was Ooh. fixated on rakem's song eric b for president it was the best song i had ever heard it was the song that made me listen to rap music because before that as a kid you listen to whatever your mother plays in the car or whatever your mother's playing in the house so for me it was like you know with my white mom it was like you know uh, Paul Abdul and Michael Jackson and the Beatles and whatever the case is and, and with my Dominican mom it was like salsa and merengue and all of that so you're not you're not gonna get rap from either one of them right but then you know they know that younger kids like rap so my mother gave me uh, a rap tape and Eric B for president I liked it because my older brother's name is Eric so that's my connection to hip-hop my older brother seeing that he was dancing and getting into hip-hop and I see this song called Eric B I listened to the song and I was completely captivated. There, again, there was like so many songs on that that little album that I was listening to, but the one song that I kept repeating was Eric B for President. So that was the song that made me want to get into just listening to rap music in general. And then there was like, you know, Dana Dane, Slick Rick, like all of those other cats were on that album, but that, that was the song that, that did it for me. I know that Rap Kim had a profound impact on you because you made a joint called the new Rap Kim years later. You know what I'm yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he, you, he was he was he was the foundation for for my interest in, in hip hop music. Not just the culture, but the music. You had a line in that joint, you were like, why we he said something like, We don't we don't build we don't build any new schools, but we got new prisons. You said some shit like that on you on the new rock Kim joint. Bro. Actually that that's that line is from uh that's lines from the first song on the Let Light Years album, Let There Be Light. Oh my bad, yeah. my bad. I thought I thought that was the, the Rock Kim joint. Yeah. But um, on the Liars album, you also you had some crazy lines. Like I called you, I called you because I was laughing. You said some <laughs> shit like, because because like, you know how I know, guy, ladies and gents, like I know the unlearned is a true artist because when we're building off record, like you know when we're just building even before the interview, like what I hear in his rhymes is exactly what he said to me. <laughs> like, 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 like that's a sign. That's a sign of a true artist. And what I mean is, he knows how to bring his life into bars. Like, so you said something like, "I had a chance, but I missed it. Broken hearts, I fixed yeah. it. Uh, you can suck my big dick, dick, or some <laughs> shit like. Yeah, yeah, that. Go back to my, go back to my gap and pull the gap back. Like, click, click, some shit like yeah. that. I was like, Do you, you's a wild boy." Son. <laughs> Use a 
You, yeah. Yo, I learned you's a wild boy. Yo, you, you funny, you, man. You, you, you're on your too short shit on this shit. I'm telling you. Yeah, you gotta have, have to walk shit. me through that. I've never heard in my life that I that I that I reminded anybody of too short. I've never in my no, life. What I mean is, <laughs> no, no. What I'm saying is, you don't rhyme like too short, but you're definitely popping shit like too short. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, no, of course. I think I, I think you're popping shit. You're, yeah, you're popping shit. I think in this album in particular, I wanted that, and I was I was telling my girlfriend, I was telling her like, yo, I was. Uh, as I was creating this album, I said, I want, I want, I don't want to be a struggle rapper. Anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think all too often when you're, when you're casted as or pegged as an underground artist or quote unquote indie, I think it becomes a charm of the underground artist to talk about your struggle and how fucked up you are because you're trying to appeal to the everyman. You're trying to appeal to the average dude who can't relate to the glitz and glamour that's purported by mainstream rap. Right. So I yeah, think it's yeah. part of the charm of the underground artist to say, like, yeah, you know, I'm driving in my bucket and I only got two dollars to my name. And you know what? And that's that's great. And I've I've lived it. <laughs> I've lived mm -hmm. it. You know what I'm saying? I've, I've been in, in, in really gutter environments and I've lived all of that and I've rapped about it pretty much most of my career. Right. But now I'm blessed and privileged to be in a space where I'm able to make a living off of creativity. It's actually put me in a different position than a lot of artists. I'm in a, in, a, in, a, in a better position financially than a lot of artists, and I'm grateful for that. I'm in a way better position than my immigrant parents were when they were my age or they were coming up. You know what I'm saying? So I'm grateful for that. And that's what I really wanted to celebrate. I wanted to celebrate that transition in this project. I wanted to celebrate like the fact that I don't have to sh talk about being broke. You know what I'm saying? I, I, the, the fact that I could really just get into my bag and say, like, here I am. I'm self-actualized. Like, I've been struggling and I've been I've been grinding in the name of hip-hop since I was a child. And now here I am, comfortable in my own skin, comfortable with where I'm at in life. And, and I wanted to celebrate that. So that's reflected all throughout the album. It don't mean that I don't reflect on social justice causes and I'm not spiritually aware because that's always going to come through in my music. But, you know, I, I, I had to flex one time for the one time. Just give people, no, let, let them people, you know what I'm saying? Let people know like, yo, it's possible. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you may not ever see me sell platinum, but I'm still out here popping. <laughs> no, man. You know? You're, you're achieving longevity. That's what counts. And um, one of the things that maybe say, I texted you, I was like, yo, man, you're on your East Oakland shit. Uh -huh. The one that made the line, the line that made me laugh was you was like, you was like, I'm out here teaching lectures, but I'm look, but I still dress like I'm selling dope. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I was like, yo, man, because it's real. He, re I, I love it. Like, you're a book because I know you, yeah, yeah. and we've been built, yeah. and we've been building. Everything you say in your raps is for real. <laughs> I can fat. I can I can fact check that and it's real. Yeah. I know, I know, <laughs> you know. Like I appreciate you, yeah. um, you know, But I, I like and, that you said that it's East Oakland because, like, I, first of all, shout out to Oakland. Like I fuck I fuck with Oakland forever, like hard. And, and Oakland fucks with me back just as a transplant. And you know what I'm saying? And, and and transplants are kind of like not really welcomed in the Bay Area because there's a lot of tech stuff that goes on and it's messing up neighborhoods, especially neighborhoods of color, right? So like they look at people who come 
come from other environments as like I don't really know what you what you're about to bring to the table but for me when I came to to the Bay Area I wanted to contribute to the community so one way or another I was contributing to the community whether a nonprofit or whatever the case is the thing that I learned in Oakland more so than any other place on earth is that dichotomy between social awareness and consciousness and being spiritually in tune and also being being like you know part of being part of street culture and 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 having that 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 tendency towards you you know what I'm saying? that's something that i've related to my entire life i grew up in 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 very you know saying certain kind of environment that doesn't necessarily breed people who are intellectually stimulated or or um spiritually aware you know what i'm saying it, it, it be, life could have been very different for me you know what I'm saying, and and in Oakland, hey, homie. Uh-huh, <laughs> and in uh-huh. Oakland, they <clears throat> celebrate that 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 dual that duality, that ability to think about like social issues and political issues, but then still also be able to get down with the get down and 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 kick game and and talk your shit. You know what I'm saying? So they they appreciate that. Not as much in my music and in, in, in as as other people, but you know they 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 still come around to it. <laughs> My G, I really love how you flip funds over. Oh ah, my yeah, God! Yeah. When I heard when I heard funds over, I was like, "This boy's wild!" And <laughs> I was like, "Yo, I love how you flipped that beat to a." It, it sounded like 2020 Wu Tang. Like exactly. it was like how it it wasn't trap, but it had a different bop to it. For like sure. I love that shit, bro. And I really love steady. Are you ready? Yeah. However, do you want it? Yeah, like I mean, what I wanted to do on oh, what, what I wanted to do on this album is I wanted to kind of like lend a nod to those eras in my life that really blossomed me as a as a person, as an artist. I, I wanted to like salute those. That's why it's called Light Years. It's not like intergalactic light years. It's about the years of my life that had light and had illumination and, and I, I got the most out of. So I gotta think about like what were the years for me that developed my artistry and inspired me the most? It would have to be high school. You know what I'm saying? Where I was rapping in the ciphers and I was trying to get into the music industry and I'm interning for these big record labels and like that. It had to be high school. It had to be certain other parts of my life. So I wanted to celebrate that sonically. So I was like, what's the best way to celebrate it sonically? It's to take 90 samples and flip them and make, you know, hard beats out of them that are relevant to today's sonic landscape. You know what I'm saying? So for, for Funds Over, that's like, you know, it's a, it's a Wu-Tang song that I flipped to make it get to give it like trap elements to give it uh you know uh, a bay area hyphy bop to it you know what I'm saying but then also get into my lyrical bag like really to be able to like kick my shit on and show you that I'm an MC like yes this may sound it's a it's an underground hip-hop classic record but now it sounds yeah. mainstream and I'm still kicking that shit over it you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and you goddamn right. You know, and then that that solder. <laughs> and then the solder motherfuckers better recognize up in yeah, this motherfucker. Exactly. So and then in the soul to soul record, you know what I'm saying? Like that I wanted to think about like the intro to belly, because that's where I, I, I got the idea from. I was watching Belly and I heard that and I was like, yo, what would be it would be dope if I just flipped that? And then I took that and the Benito Applebaum drum drum break. And I've, I've layered that under the these hardcore Timberland boot hoodie dirty drums, you know what I'm saying? To to give it this this really dope feel of like something nostalgic, something current, but also hard, like hard. And and and, and so you, you find that all throughout the album. You find all these different like yeah, reflections or some ninety shit, and then flipping it. You are a very great writer, and from 
from a lyricist to another lyricist um you are it's it's, it's like it's like battle rap spiritual political uh and why and swag mm-hmm. uh um um the word plays there you know and um you're you right you've been really spitting aggressive like you sound angry on this album but i fuck with it i love it yeah. i love it man like you, you sound you sound angry like you got a different growl to your voice on this one yeah totally um, i mean you know i smoke more, I, I you smoke got a different more, I smoke more weed than i used to so <laughs> so like you're gonna, you're gonna hear that, that rap, this extra rasp that i've gotten in my voice over the course of the last five years that's a testament to just grinding and, and being in the nightlife right you know what i'm saying like before you know what I'm saying? Like when you and I met, I was I was literally like only like a year deep into like really getting into the San Francisco Bay Area rap scene. Even though I've been 2015. Yeah, even though I've I met you exactly, 15. Yeah. Even though I've been out here in the Bay since 2003, my first like foyer into the Bay Area rap scene was back in like 2014, 2015, around that time. Because like I was just going through a lot of life transition things and I was like, you know what? If I'm gonna, gonna if I'm gonna take this music seriously, I gotta hit the streets and I gotta be out with the people and see what's going on and see what's popping and use use whatever knowledge I have about the game and about the music industry and about music and, and start getting it shaking out here. And that's what I was starting to do. And as by virtue of that, you have to do nightlife a lot more. You know what I'm saying? Like I had the regular nine to five job where I had to go to sleep at 9, 30, 10 o'clock to wake up at six and get on the train and get on the bus and do the bullshit. Like I've had that life and I know what that life is and it don't really involve smoking weed as much as I do when I go to a fucking club. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> by virtue of just living the life that I live, I smoked more and my voice got raspy. You know, so Either <laughs> so I, I, uh-huh. I, I I like it because there's a there's a grit and there's a pain that that that's communicated in that that was never really expressed in my music earlier than that. So it, I, I I take it as like you know it's no different than like having a scar. You know what I mean? Like scars represent and they tell you so much about the person one way or another. So I think yeah, the rasp in my voice is a reflection of that as well. No doubt, dog. So, how old were you when you when you wrote, when you wrote your first rhyme, or did freestyling come freestyling first? Freestyling came, came first. first. I was ten, right. yeah, I was ten years old when I started freestyling because I was hyped off of like rap music. Ah. You know what I'm saying so, I was I was creating little raps to myself, and you know, not not really telling anybody, and it wasn't like a a thing where I was like, oh, I'm trying to get signed, and I want people to know me, and it was like, nah, I was just just rapping just to have fun in my own little brain, and then. By the time I was 13, when I was 13, I heard the Illmatic album by Nas, and that changed my life. That literally changed my life. He, he, you know what I'm saying? He says, writing, writing in my book of rhymes, all the words past the margin. And then that that made me say, okay, I want to get a book of rhymes. I want to literally get a notebook. So I went out the next day, and I bought a notebook. And I and that's where yeah, I started man. writing my rhymes down. You know what I'm saying? And I still have that notebook to this day. I still own it. You know? I own all the books of rhymes that I wrote. Except for one. I think it might be in my baby mama's house, but fuck her. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I learned, man. So, I know that being an NY bred, you know, you you were part you you were in the industry out there. So, take me from like, okay, so you graduate high school what year? Ninety nine, class of nineteen ninety nine. So, what was the game? Word up. So, what's the game plan? You graduate class of ninety nine. What's going on in your mind? What was the plan? Oh, I mean, were you gonna go to college? Yeah, I mean, I was going to college. I think I was literally. I had told myself when I was young. I said, "I'm either gonna be a rap star, 
or I'm going to be a career academic, meaning that I'm going to keep on going to college until I get my PhD and then eventually become a college professor. And at the time I said this because I thought, or somebody had told me college professors make over $100,000 a year. They're fucking liars. So whoever that was, you're a fucking liar because they don't. Um, it depends on what school you're teaching at that determines whether or not you're making that much money. But that's what I thought. And at, at the time, $100,000 seemed like a lot of money to a 17-year-old kid from the gutter <laughs> so you know that was my my pathway i was like if i'm not gonna make it doing this rap shit then i'm gonna keep going to school and 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 really strive to be intellectual and and to be a career academic and to write books and to be creative in that respect you know what i'm saying maybe screenplays or stage plays or whatever the case is i've always been a writer so high school i graduate and i, I you know uh i had two options for school i i got declined from nyu that was my main school that I wanted to go to. I got accepted into Columbia, but I couldn't afford it. And, and none of the uh, the student loans was going to pay for it. Um, so I had these two other schools that I went. It, they were both like local schools. One was a state school, upstate New York. And then the other one was in the city. And it was it was, it was was Parsons School of Design. It was the new school. It was like a really good college in New York City. Um, one of them had a six-week summertime program that I had to go to as an as a as an underprivileged kid like you, you go through a certain economic you have a certain economic status you get into a certain program and they require you to spend six weeks during the summer doing this program day in day out all day upstate school said now nah, we have a weekend for you you can do the whole program that we want you to do in a weekend and i had just gotten a job offer from warner music group to, to work for Warner Music Group. So this is one of the biggest record labels. It's one of the big three, right? When we talk about music industry, you have Universal, mm -hmm. you have Sony, you have Warner. Warner has Elektra, has Atlantic. So, you know, you're thinking Messi Elliott, you're thinking Fat Joe, you're thinking Busta Rhymes, you're thinking like every other artist mm -hmm. other than Sun. So that was my decision. My decision was either I go to the school that wants me to be there for six weeks during the summer, or I, I get it popping in the summer at this record label and chill in my house <laughs> and you know still go to school in the fall so that that God was a motherfucking no-brainer so i spent the summer working at warner music group in the production department um you know taking the masters and making cds wow. and all of that so i was working behind the scenes for some big projects like you know uh missy ellie's the real world uh the one where she has she's a bitch and, and, and get your freak on and all those records um Busta Rhymes records, Fat Joe records, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm literally taking these songs from the, the studios and getting them to where they can get duplicated to make CDs. Like that was my job. Wow. <laughs> that was my job. And my boss was this crazy white lady so who had been in the record industry for like 20 years. And like people loved her and like uh -huh. she loved me. And like it was, it was just, it was a great relationship. I learned so much just being in that building and talking to, talking to A&Rs and just like kind of getting the vibe of like who's doing what and what who's responsible for what it was it was a great program a really really great program and then you know it was a summer job and then from there i went to college and then you know <laughs> so I, I just kept yeah. it was time yeah it was time warner music right yeah time it was warner yeah, warner, yeah time warner warner music group you know what i'm saying yeah dope it was, yeah so at this point though um I know that your junior high years, high school years, you were battling, freestyling, right, writing rhymes. But at what point did you start really writing songs and laying down songs in the studio? Like, when did that come about as far as you, like, really start going to the studio, you yeah. know? I mean, it, it, was, it was a process. So, 
I think like every kid, I, I, I had to get comfortable hearing my voice on, on record. I think it's a, it's a very surreal experience to hear your own voice for the first time, not being, not coming out of your own mouth, right? So I had to get used to that. So by the time I was 14, 15, I was like recording myself in my house, like just over instrumentals. And then um, because of, of high school and people knowing me that I rapped in high school, one of the security guards in my in my school actually had a studio in his house. He was he was a producer. He made demos. So I went to his house at 15 in Brooklyn. I went to Brooklyn and I recorded my very very first demo. It was three songs. It took us 12 hours to record. I got there at like 10 o'clock in the morning and I didn't leave until 10 o'clock at night. And I had to go from Brooklyn all the way back uptown to my house, which is like an hour and a half train ride. My mom was really pissed off. <laughs> but nonetheless, I had these three records, these three cool little songs and they, they weren't really great so you yeah, were 15, 15. you were they 15? weren't really great songs like nice. you know what i'm saying like if i played them now i'd probably cringe they were whack and this recording was whack but there was one song that had kind of potential um and my brother my brother oh, my brother eric my older brother has always been a fan of my music he's always supported my my creative endeavors he used to literally go through my rhyme books and like edit my rhymes like yo don't say and here yeah, breath yeah, yeah. control here he would put like he would give me like liner notes to to make to make my craft better a lot of what it's funny a lot of what i teach kids now in the hip-hop education classes in terms of artist development come from my brother who never rapped <laughs> he literally mm. just would give me notes on how to make my raps better so my brother just happened to be frat brothers with this dude um named carlos who was who was you know, make trying to, he was trying to be a lawyer and he was trying to make his way in the music industry. And one of the first jobs he got out of college was like being the lawyer for this small little independent record label in, in the Bronx. So as a frat brother, he comes over to the house. My brother's hyping me, yo, my little brother can spit, whatever, whatever. He plays the demo. So <laughs> he's playing the yeah. demo. And, um, the, you know, the, the dude liked it. He, he, he liked it a lot. And he said, you know, yeah. what? I'm going to bring you to my people in the Bronx. So then from then on, I started going to the Bronx like every other weekend and, 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 and learning and listening to beats from, from my homeboy, this dude named Cassius Clay Mack. He used to, he had the MPC, he had the whole studio layout in his basement. And I would be in the basement recording with him. And the, the sound booth was in the bathroom, like just grungy, dirty nice. shit. But he had dope, dope, nice, raw nice, hip hop nice. beats. And then one of my other producers was this dude named Spencer Bellamy, um, who ended up producing a lot of dope records. He actually ended up producing on the Belly soundtrack. And he got a bunch of other key placements. Um, you know, he, he's most known for a record called Tribe by 12, which is the last beat that Biggie ever Woo! freestyled over. So wait, that that's your boy? boy. I, met, I met him when I was 15 years old, and I remember the day he played that beat for me. <laughs> Whoa. You know what I'm saying? So like, this is this is my, my now I'll go from the, yeah, this Circle. is my, but this, this goes from homies. one demo that I made in Brooklyn. So now I, I go from Brooklyn all the way to the Bronx, where now I'm making demos in the Bronx. And I got better producers who are more well-connected and I'm working with them. And this is how I'm getting into certain rooms and certain opportunities to come in just from that. So like now I'm thinking, I'm like, oh shit, I, I could possibly get a record deal. Like I'm, I'm working with the right people. I'm, I'm trying to record music. I'm trying to get things popping. So like, that's what we worked on. And you know what I'm saying? Like the record deal never came, but I was still... My man, who's my my brother's friend, was like, "Yo, I can get you internships at these different record labels." 
and we could start trying to get your demo played to them if you're moving and shaking in the record label. So I said, the bet, cool, sign me <laughs> up. So right. he, he started working with Loud Records and then he made me an intern. Him, him and his little, me and, my, and his little brother were interns at Loud Records. And that's where I started learning a lot in terms of I was going up to the A&R department every day, listening to beats that they were going to give to Exhibit, beats that they were going to give the big pun, just Ooh. seeing the first Dead Prez like press release and and logo and artwork being designed and like Steve Rifkin running up and down the office. Like I'm, I'm seeing this as a kid and literally my job is just to pick up posters, go out in the streets and put the posters up. That's like my job, but I'm absorbing all of this. You know what I'm saying? And then that led to me like doing internships to do similar stuff for bad boy and i'm just absorbing all of this information but i'm not but so i'm not I, i've met puff right. once but it was in a different circumstance and it was literally for two seconds and you probably never remember it <laughs> so that's um, crazy but, uh, you know but sorry yeah, good but it's, off, it's but, you know so I'm, I'm learning all of this from these just these different opportunities but I'm still almost scared to give these people my demo or to even like let them know I rap. So I, I keep that kind of on the raps because I'm kind of nervous about it. And I'm just kind of perfecting my craft and working on my skill, thinking and knowing that I have this opportunity to really get shit shaking if I wanted to. Um, and, and it never it never really materialized. Like I was, you know, uh, I, I got into college and and in college, like, you know, you, you fucking with girls now and like it's a different the, the whole, you know what I'm saying? Like girls change my, my, my trajectory in terms of like, my laser focus on the music industry and writing raps, you know what I'm saying? Like when, when you a 17 year old kid and you, you starting to get consistent pussy for the first time, like that will fuck your brain up. <laughs> so, you know, so college was kind of an experience for that and it kind of detoured me from my music. But then when, when that relationship was kind of over, I, I got back into getting in the music industry and I had myself a manager and we were, we were trying to get to it, you know what I'm saying? And around that time, like, a friend of mine from high school had moved to Detroit, wanted to create his own record label, um, had some dudes who were willing to put up the money for it. And he brought me out to Detroit and, you know, just using my what I whatever I learned from the A&R departments of different record labels. I was able to convince this dude who had the money to make me A&R of this independent record label in Detroit. So now he's he's, he's yeah. giving me enough money for me to pay my rent and for me to buy stuff just for me to help put this label together. So for a year I'm in Detroit or I'm going I'm going back and forth from New York to Detroit to try to make this independent record label pop off and to make me the premier act. So not only am I learning as an executive, but I'm also an artist. And then this is where I'm starting to get like, I'm getting beats from Jake One, I'm getting beats from like JR, uh, JR, what's his name, not JR Ryder. Um, I forget his name, but like a lot of different producers, like a lot of well-known producers, because now we have a budget. Yes. J.R. wrote him? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm getting beats from him. I'm getting beats from Jake One. I'm getting beats wow. from a lot of like well producers who are well known now or who have gotten key placements. I'm getting beats from these dudes. Or, like, and this is early on in their career. So and now I, yeah. So <laughs> unlearned. Good, Time out, my bad, bro. So what so when you said this when this relationship was over, I went back to music. What do you mean by this relationship? Well, oh, was the, over? the relationship that I was in with this girl. Like I had, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? Oh. During college, I was with a girl and like, you know, that, that you know, oh, so I'm okay. young and then when that, and I went back to the music. When that relationship ended, I went back to the music and I was full throttle in the music, had myself a manager. My manager, oddly, coincidentally enough, my manager was my next door neighbor. He lived in the building next to me. He was my brother's best friend. He was my older brother's best friend. Not, not the same brother, but like a different brother because <laughs> I have a lot of them. Um, and him yeah. and my, my older brother used to intern at Rockefeller. 
What? <laughs> my brother, you know, for whatever reason, all intents and purposes, got caught up in the streets and, and stopped interning there. But my his friend stayed. His friend kind of started climbing up through the ranks in Rockefeller and then moved on from wow. Rockefeller to become um, radio marketing for Murder, Inc. And now he's my manager. So now I wow. have a manager who's working at Murder, Inc., right, who can give wow. me the opportunity that I need to get signed because he's literally in the Def Jam building. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's there. And I'm now working sure. with this record label out of Detroit who's giving me the money to record my project. So now I think, and this is me, I'm not even 21 years old. I'm literally like 19, 20 years old. And like, I now think I'm in the best position ever to really make some noise in the music industry. You know what I'm saying? Like just doing all of this. And that's where yeah. the Lyricist Lounge Tour comes up and like all these other opportunities that I was able to get early on, you know? Woo, how'd you- Yeah, um, my, no, my, my, so my manager hooked me up with this dude named, uh, Tamir and Tamir yeah how'd you land that Tamir really liked my demo he really liked the songs that I was submitting to you know what I'm saying and he got me the opportunity he said hey they're looking for openers for this club series tour they're about to go around the country and bring out some acts and you know they're trying to they're trying to capitalize off the Lyricist Lounge name at the time Lyricist Lounge had a TV show on MTV and they had a yeah. Lyricist Lounge album that came out on Ruckus. Like they had a lot of shit popping. So he's like, you're doing, they're doing this club series tour and they're bringing out like Eric Sermon. They're bringing out Dead Prez and all these different people. And I think I got a, uh, I have an opportunity for you to open. So he was like, I bet. So he got me at least one show opening up for Boot Camp Click at SOBs. And SOBs is a legendary venue in New York City, if y'all don't know. And I yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, murdered yeah. that show. Like I fucking killed it my entire hood was in the building people i knew from college was in the building like people i knew from every aspect of my life were in that building and all these like hip-hop big wigs that i fucking love killer priest is in the building razkaz is in the building fucking keith murray is in the, like everybody i've ever grew up to and looked up to and listened to is in that building that night and i fucking destroyed that stage right you know what i mean so much right, so right. that the that, that anthony marshall who actually is a, is, is a business partner in it for me right now. But back then he wasn't. He's one of the co-founders of Lyricist Lounge. He comes in and he's like, yo, that's how you fucking open a Lyricist Lounge show. He gave me like the, 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 like the seal of approval. And that one show allowed me to perform for over three months for the Lyricist Lounge tour going on tour. So I was going to like Detroit, Ooh. Chicago, Cleveland. I was doing all the Midwest. I was doing New York. I was going to all these different places, opening up for like Dead Prez, Killer Mike, Big Daddy Kane, fucking Killer Priest, like everybody who they had on tour. I was like the first act that was going on stage repping for them. So like that was the biggest opportunity I had um, in that in that era of my life. And then, you know, there's highs and lows right so that's the highlight of it and i'm thinking like oh shit i'm building all this momentum i'm about to drop some dope records and drop some dope projects and it's about to be on and popping and sure enough as soon as i get off of that tour we run out of money as a record label as the independent record label that i was fucking with we run out of money like, there's literally no money left they still owe me money and I, 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 I don't know what to do. <laughs> I can't pay for beats. I can't pay for studio time on my own. Now I'm behind on rent because they, they owe me money that they never paid me. And then this is where you get your first lesson in, 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 in the shady side of the music industry, right? Mm. Where you're hot one minute mm. and everybody is calling you, you know what I'm saying? And, the, and now you, 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 your, your family's starting to see that you got traction. So now they starting to ask for shit. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you, you start to get this kind of like mm. this momentum and you really thinking that you're going to do it. And then mm. just at, literally night and day, it shifts, it changes like a snap of the finger. And now you back to being broke, you back in the streets, those phone calls ain't coming so much. You know what I'm saying? You're not able to get in these clubs anymore. Mm. And when you do, you can't buy a bottle. You don't have a turtle table. Like you fucked up. And you know, that was, that was, uh-huh. that was the shit that made me like insane. It drove me crazy. Like that, that, that ebb and flow, that back and forth, that's that, that now you have it. Now you don't like literally just made me disgusted mm. with the music industry as a whole. And, and, and made me want to come to uh, California. Like I just needed a change of scenery. I did not, I didn't want to rap anymore. I didn't want to do anything anymore. I didn't want to do anything with regard to the music industry after that. I just couldn't, I, I, I hate it. Just put such a bad taste in my mouth and left me so disappointed because you got to think about it. I'm 21 years old. I'm so close to this thing that I've been working on for like literally 11 years. I've been rapping since 10. I'm now 21 and I'm so close to, to, to achieving what I think is success. And it's yeah, and the, yeah. And the rug is literally pulled from under me. You know what I mean? So close, and then you just get your wings burnt off, and you drop back down to earth. And it was really hard pill for me to swallow because I'm really self-absorbed and egotistical. So <laughs> that just was like hard for me to deal with. So I, I came, I came to California, and you know, I was, I was, I was living with you know a, a woman at the time, and you know what I'm saying? Like that, just that whole. I just kind of switched my life. I just wanted to be a regular dude who worked a job, who had a steady income um, paycheck and all of that. And that's what I did for for a while, for like a, six months, that was what it was. Um, but I still wanted to do music. I still loved music, you know what I'm saying? So I, I went back to recording demos. I took some of the songs that um, I made or some of the songs that I had been writing and I had a, 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 a CD of Jake One Beats and I, I booked myself some studio time and I, re, I recorded a mixtape and I gave five songs of that mixtape to uh, my man Brian from hiphopgame.com. Hiphopgame.com was this big website uh-huh. back in the day. And he literally, I sent that, I, I mailed yeah, him the yeah. demo. I mailed him a CD and he calls me literally two days later after he heard it. He goes, yo, I think you're the next voice to 5'9". I ain't never heard no shit like this before. This is fucking incredible. <laughs> right, this is what I want to do. I need you to do X, Y, and Z. He got, and he wasn't my manager, but he was kind of giving me game on what the new wave of the music industry was about to be, which was about to be digital, right? The blogs and the websites were now to be, were, were now going to be the tastemakers, right? The hip hop DXs of the world, the all hip hops of the world, the hip hop games. He's become the new tastemakers for a new generation. And he's literally, yeah. Hip hop And game. he's literally, yeah. Hip hop game was dropping exactly. so much shit back they, in the day, man. They was, they, they, they broke, broke a lot. lot Sky Zoo, Wale, I don't think they would be anywhere they are without, if had it not been for hip hop game. That's my word. Like, Hip hop game broke. I think so. Too. Yeah, Joel Ortiz was totally running hip hop yeah. game. Like, so he had this whole plan for me. He was telling well, me, like, ahead. "Yo, I need you to get a photo shoot, work on a a, a, a website, and we're gonna make you hip hop artist of the month." And then I said, he said, "From hip hop artist of the month, you you're gonna get a lot of love, and then we're gonna drop a mixtape for you." <clears throat> and so I did that. I got the website together. I, I put it all together. He made me art hip hop artist of the month. That to this day, I have friends now and, and people I've collaborated with, people who I've I've introduced them to their wives, who I met as fans uh-huh. off of my music from hip hop game. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? To this day, I know them and I have uh, relationships with these people. So that just gave me like a, a really solid fan base and a foundation, you know? And I dropped this project called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. It down, it, 10,000 copies were downloaded, right? And this is back in like, this is before the streaming era. This is literally a digital mixtape that's being offered for free, right? Like right on the heels of digital right. music. This is before Spotify. This is before YouTube. This is before any of that shit. Before Mixcloud or any that piff, none of that was existing right now. It was just the blogs, and that's why people were getting their music. Yeah. So that just kind of solidified whatever fan base I started to develop came from hip hop game and that opportunity. So I always shout out my man Brian Kaiser, who was the dude who like gave me my battery in my pack to to do music again when I was like completely done with it and ready to like give it up. And you know, and then just over the course of the last several years, just putting out mixtapes digitally and, and trying to do that. And, you know, you, you can only get so much traction if you're not matching that energy on the internet with in-person energy. And because I had still had the regular square job, I'm putting out music on the internet, but I'm not promoting it. I'm not doing anything that you need to do as an independent artist to keep that momentum behind you and keep interest, people interested in your work. So I'm getting perpetually frustrated. Mm -hmm. I'm like, damn, I'm making all this good music or I think I'm making good music. I'm making these dope mixtapes and, but I still got this regular job that I hate and whatever the case is. So, you know, th this goes on for years and it wasn't until like, I think, you know, uh, 2014, 2013 around there, I was like, I gotta start taking this music thing seriously and start going out and, and hitting the road and doing shows and going on tour and like, doing that stuff and then that's when my life changed you know what i'm saying just having more confidence in who i was and doing what i do so yo your move to the bay was 2003 and what city did you land in it was uh, straight it was to south frisco? san francisco which is a completely different city wow. you think it's part of the same but it's not it's a completely different city it's like literally maybe 10 minutes away from actual san francisco um that's the first city that i stayed in when i moved out here 2003 i'm graduating high school <laughs> um so yo um you moved to frisco right and then of course you wanted to get away from just the bullshit happening in ny you know what i'm saying like you wasn't feeling that atmosphere no more um and i know you told me that when you came out here <laughs> we were building you came out here because you were with somebody and you you moved to frisco with a chick right and then you made me laugh dog you were like the only reason why someone would leave the hood is yeah, for a woman I mean woman. that's the only cause New, yeah, I was New like, York people that, that, yeah. that really made <laughs> New me York dudes or I think New Yorkers in general I think we we we, um, we justify our own misery right like like it's really like unless you're a millionaire in New York City you're struggling you know what I'm saying unless you would unless you're selling drugs or unless for you're in the streets you're working class like everybody else and you're in the most densely populated part of the country right where like California or in San Francisco there's maybe like a million people in San Francisco in New York there's 8 million people right and you know you have your wealthy people but you're, there's more broke people than wealthy so you're, you're now in this competition with all these other people fighting for the scraps you know what I mean? And it's just this, this muck and this mire and the struggle that comes with that, you know, as a New Yorker, it's just kind of that that grit that you, you grow up with and that you start to be proud of. And if you stay in New York, and this is not to say that anybody who stays in New York just is miserable. I'm just saying like, we, we teach ourselves that New York is better than everywhere else on earth. So we just choose to stay there, even though our lives may be so much better in other places. 
You know what I mean? So like, you know, and some people move, people move to Florida, people move to Maryland, people move to Atlanta. A lot of people move elsewhere. You know, my choice was California. And that's where I wanted to raise my family. That's where, you know, my, my, my values as a human being were more aligned with like a California lifestyle, like being relaxed and, and being spiritually minded and being politically aware. That's all in the Bay Area. You know what I'm saying? The Bay Area has your access to spirituality and, 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 and social causes and all of that. And that, that really aligns with my values as a human being. You know what I mean? And then the the, the, the music was, a, was an afterthought because the music is only informed by the kind of person that I am. So I just had to be in a place that aligned with my personality more so than the competition-based uh, world of being in New York where everybody's like out for themselves and everybody's miserable and nobody wants to admit it. I just like, nah, I was like, nah, that's not, that's not what I want. So the only thing that's going to make somebody <laughs> in, in that environment move from that environment and break the spell of that environment is a woman who's going to, somewhere else and that was you know what i'm saying so that was like my out and by virtue of that i found i found That's my home choice. you know what i'm saying i found my purpose so mm-hmm. regardless of what happened to that particular relationship it, it brought me to who i became and who i needed to be that's awesome bro um how did you land so if you can like tell the people what was your involvement in the Zulu Nation San Francisco chapter like how did you become the vice president or how did that opportunity come about you yeah. know what I mean um, it really came down to uh, ROTC Return of the Cypher which is uh, it was a weekly cypher mm-hmm. that happened at the Boom Boom Room in San Francisco in the Fillmore District every Sunday night live mm-hmm. band DJ um, and MCs would get on the mic and, and spit verses for one minute apiece and we would just rotate and that, that's what they called Return of the Cypher. Mm-hmm. And when I first started getting back on the music scene in the Bay Area, that was the first place that I went. I, I remember I remember very vividly. I remember doing a show. It was actually a pay-to-play show. It was the only pay-to-play show I ever did. $300 to open up for like a random dude who had like maybe a hit single in, in the Bay Area. Um, but I paid it nonetheless because mm-hmm. I really wanted to perform and I really wanted to make this music shit work. So I didn't know any better. So I went mm-hmm. and I did this show. And it was a whack show. Um, I performed decently, but it was a whack show altogether. You know what I'm saying? When you have like 30 MCs doing 10 minute sets, it just gets really uh, long winded and, and tiring. So, uh, but after I did my set, somebody came up to me and was like, yo, um, you should go to the spot on Sundays in San Francisco called Return of the Cypher. And they have ciphers. And he told, you know, gave me the whole spiel. So I went there and that was, that became my home. Like literally from day one, until I, I spent every Sunday there, almost every single Sunday of my life for the next five, six years, I was in that spot in at ROTC. So the, my Sick. first year of doing that, they have this competition once a month called the MVP contest. So I competed in the MVP contest and I won. And um, after I won, uh, this is my, my homeboy Uzi, who, who wasn't my homeboy at the time, he comes up to me and says, yo, we want you to come to our meetings. And I'm like, who's we? And he goes, Zulu, Zulu Nation. And I fucking freak out because I know Zulu. Like I grew up in New York City, so I know the relevance of Zulu as it relates to hip hop. I know what Zulu was in New York, how deep and how heavy they are. And I couldn't even believe 
that there was a San Francisco chapter of Zulu in in California. Like I couldn't believe that. I couldn't even process that. So I was just so hyped. So they just started asking me to come to their meeting. They had meetings once a month. So I started going to their monthly meetings and just kind of hearing about the work they were doing in the community. Um, you know, they, they were like doing presentations on knowledge and spirituality and like all the stuff that they were doing, the, 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 the block parties that they were DJing and all of this. It just reminded me of what real Zulus do. Like I was like, all right, this is this is the hip hop community that I want to be part of. This is this connects me back to New York, being part of this organization and working within this organization. It come back oh, yeah. connects me back to the true roots of this culture that I love so much. So, you know, just by just being there for a year that they finally officially put me down with the chapter um, in 2016. I was I was I was unofficially part of the chapter in 2015. Um, and then I didn't I didn't get what they call beaded. You don't get your, your Zulu beads after only after a year. So you have to have mm-hmm. a year waiting period. So I did my year waiting period and then I got beaded. And, you know, I got put down with the chapter and, you know, uh, I think a little, a year after that, they named me vice president. That's fucking awesome, bro. Congratulations. That's dope. I I really, I really enjoyed, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm still part of Zulu. So like, you know, we're not as active as we used to be, but you know, it was, it was, it was a really big milestone for me to, to, to reach that like kind of uh, position in the local hip hop community. Sick. So man, like, how did you land? Like, how did you land the opportunity to host Hip Hop for Change Radio? Like, how did that come about, and how's that experience been oh, like for um, you? You know, just from the education work that I've I've been doing as as you know part of my, I wouldn't even call it my hustle. It's my job. It's my career. My brand as an artist is to be a hip hop educator. So I've been a teaching artist for the last maybe five or six years of my life, um, making the transition from the regular nine to five job, I wanted to be able to teach kids what I know, whether it was like how to write raps or how to make beats. So working with uh, Today's Future Sound gave me my my introduction into, into being a teaching artist and having those opportunities. And about two mm-hmm. and a half years ago, my homeboy, Coffrey J, shout out to Coffrey J, who's the executive director of Hip Hop for Change, he then wanted to make me the education director. So he said, I see what you're doing in the community. I really like it. I want you, I think you're, you're, you're best equipped to kind of work in this role. So I want to see if you're open to it. And I said, yeah, I'm down. And um, he gave me the job. And from day one, I literally got there January 1, 2018. And I got to work. I started looking at everything that we're working on. And I said, how can we make this better? How can we fine tune this to, to really impress people and create like, key community partnerships and do really great work? So I just kind of mm-hmm. started refining the curriculum and, you know, really getting to it as a hip hop educator, but now part of this new organization. And it just so happens that part of the goal of this organization is to create platforms for artists whose messages are either too positive or political for mainstream platforms. So everything means that we're creating our own platforms for other narratives and other stories within the hip hop community to get out there. One of those uh, initiatives is to have our own radio station, right? So you have your Hot 97s, you have your KMELs or your Wild 94.9s or whatever you guys have in San Diego. You have your mainstream radio that doesn't play any local artists or at least they don't play underground artists. And now you have an FM radio station that for three hours on Sundays will play nothing but commercial free local hip hop. Right. So this is something that they had going on for like maybe five years. So I said, okay, that's one of the goals of of this organization is to create those platforms. And I want to be part of that. You know what I'm saying? So like me just 
having podcasted before and having done my own podcast and having been a host in different iterations and in different places all throughout the Bay Area, hosting events and this, mm-hmm. you know, you have a broadcast voice. People hear your voice and they know who you are. So he was like, yo, go get the training and then, you know, you can host every other Sunday. So I've been doing that for two years. I've been, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. hosting KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. You get, you know, from 12 to 3 on Sundays, you get nothing but commercial free hip hop. You know what I'm saying? We play, we play everything from San Diego up to Sacramento in terms of local hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Underground artists who need to get shine. You can send your music in and if we like it, we play it. It's simple as that. You know, so I've been running that and you know, we're just now starting to hit a stride where people are starting to hear about us and, and more and more local artists are starting to send their music our way and I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. Oh man, that's really dope. Like, I really love what you're doing for the community in the Bay, man. Like, you know, I I saw one of the interviews you did and you said something like, everything that is stemming, like all these opportunities stemming outside of hip hop is like rooted from your love of hip hop. You know, it's awesome, man. Like you're an MC that, that really evolved into like to being a radio show host, a, a teacher, and this is all for the love of hip hop. That's amazing, man. You you ought to be proud of yourself, yeah, man. That's really know, I'm, dope. I'm very grateful. Um, every single day. So, <laughs> so how, how did you? How were you able to land your work with the district? Like, so you would go to different schools and teach kids how to make beats, how to write rhymes, and teach them the history of hip hop. Like, how was that? Like, getting those contracts with the district. Like, was that difficult? Was it? Was it a lot of you know red tape? Um, that you guys I had to cross a lot of schools and school districts are always looking for programs and they're, and they're always looking for programs that are going to be impactful and important to the students, especially black and brown communities. So they often look for something that relates to their experience and they know that black and brown communities, especially young kids like hip hop. So they're always trying to find some iteration of that. They're always trying to find, I think what, what I have found a lot of the time, unfortunately, and this is not disrespectful, this is not necessarily to disrespect anybody who's doing the work. I, I have much respect for everybody who's doing the work, regardless of where they are. But a lot of the time, what you find in, in, in this world of hip-hop academia or hip-hop education is you get a lot of uh, well-meaning white people who come in and they're able to get these big contracts with these school districts to do really great work. And they do. But I think they're, I think there's an underrepresentation of the black and brown organizations that do similar work, if not better work, right? So is it like, this is our Mm -hmm. culture. We created this culture. Why should we be the last ones in line to gain access to teaching our kids our culture? Right. And that's that's a paradigm I, I definitely exactly. wanted to shift. I wanted to in, in, implement the social justice component of it. So when you talk to these school districts, I really talk to them about just equity and inclusion, talking to them about like how black and brown communities need to be included, how you need to include the experience of the students into their learning so that they understand better and they're in a better position to retain learning and to be critical thinkers if they're learning it from people who come from the community that they come from who look like how they look. You know what I'm saying? Like I come in there, I don't, I'm not dressed up in a teacher suit. Mm-hmm. I don't have my shirt tucked in. I dress like, you know what I'm saying? Like I dress like a drug dealer. Like I told you, like, you know what I'm saying? I dress, you know what I'm saying? I got my Jordans on, mm-hmm. I got my nice jeans. I got, you know, sometimes I may have gold fronts on. Like it, <laughs> like it, so it depends. Like, so, but they see me mm-hmm. and they recognize me as somebody they could see in their neighborhood. 
But now I have this air about me where I'm giving them mm-hmm. game. Like I'm, I'm putting you on that. Not only how to be an artist, but how to use your skills as an artist to articulate yourself better and to navigate your life in a better way. You know what I'm saying? And you're, you, mm-hmm. and that's game mm-hmm. that you would, you're now receptive to because of who's giving it to you. You see what I'm saying? That transformation doesn't mm. necessarily happen if it's if it's just this dorky white guy in front of you. It may. It may. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a whole movie <laughs> with, with the show Pfeiffer doing that shit. So, like, <clears throat> it may happen. But I think it's, I think it's important yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. to have people who look like you give you the game that you need to get. Because then it seems possible. It seems accessible. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just think that's important. So... When you, awesome. when, you, when you are trying to negotiate these contracts, you're trying to impart on the people who are listening, the administrators, the principals, like culturally responsiveness mm-hmm. is important, right? Kids seeing themselves in the success stories that you're telling them is important. And, and if you're bringing us mm-hmm. in to use mm-hmm. their culture as a mechanism for their learning, it needs to come from a voice that they're familiar with. It needs to come from a person that looks like they do. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's kind of like what I leave. They respect that. They understand the value of it. And if they don't, then it's really just a matter of just being very direct and and, and, and making them realize the value of it. You know what I'm saying? Like being in those spaces where you, you're, you're telling people like, yo, you need this for your kids. Your kids need this. And here's why. And then you go into your, you know what I'm saying? Like, keep in mind, I was trying to be a career academic if it wasn't for the music shit. So I, I know very well how to right. be in those kind of spaces because that was a space that I was trying to be in. So it's it's amazing to me to be full circle having gone through everything I did in the music industry to, to full circle, come back around and now be an academic. Um, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, all right, well, I, I know the language. I know the, I, I know how to talk to talk, but also be, and also remain authentic uh, to who I am and what my community is. Yeah, man, you're an inspiration, bro. Like, I, I looked at your career and your extensive career and your knowledge and, and like in the industry and you you definitely had your experience in the underground tip and like you know you you kept evolving and using hip-hop and kept using hip-hop in your life and I one of the things that caught me in the interview one of the interviews you did you were like you know I really put in the hours man <laughs> you know I really I, I really I really put in the hours I really put in the the grind to constantly record and and spend hours in the studio and I felt that shit fam like I brother like I feel you dog yeah I, but feel I, you I think it's important one, I think real. it's important to I think we we often talk you. about the grind and we don't we don't we don't really practice what we preach a lot of people talk about hustling and moving and shaking and doing all of that and I think a lot of us do that the cosmetic aspect of that right like we, we we take a selfie in the studio and we think that's the grind <laughs> you know what i'm saying or like we we we, we go yeah. live while we're making a beat and we think that's the grind it's what it's it's those moments that people don't see you know what i'm saying it's the moments of sleeping in your car it's the moments of not having a dime to your name because you'd rather make beats than work for a job that you hate right like that's that's the shit that nobody sees that's the shit that nobody celebrates right we got the game fucked up we're looking at the highlight reel what well, we need to be looking at like the shit that happens when the lights go off. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I I look at your I look at your career like because we got we have some similarities, you know, like I also started rhyming at 10 and then like I also just like you you have an extensive catalog. I've also 
put out a lot of work, you know, and you have the right to 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 run a radio show and advocate hip hop for the youth because you really came from the culture of hip hop, man. Like you really do this, man. You're really an MC, you know. And I just feel like me doing a podcast. It's an extension of my love for hip hop because you know damn well I'm gonna interview oh, some MCs. Like, like <laughs> you got to be kidding me! Like, it's my it's my extension of giving back to the culture. Like, I want to highlight the MCs that are like that's involved. You know, like it's it's like you 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 are evolving and we still are. You know, and you definitely have evolved from the 19 year old MC doing the lyricist lounge yeah. show. I mean, you know what I'm saying. And to to like to now, bro, like teaching the kids about our culture, about hip hop, um, it gave a lot of us brown kids voices. It's the, it's the most important cultural movement hey, of yeah, it, it gave it, us a but voice. It's the most important cultural movement of the 20th into the 21st century. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't think people say enough you know about that. This is the most important cultural movement that is going to allow black and brown people and white people and Asian people to come together, right? If they're going to come together for anything, it's going to be hip hop, right? Like that's the first mm. and foremost. And I think that that's not stated enough that if the world is going to come at peace with each other, it's going to be through the banner of young people and it's going to be through the banner of hip hop because that is the, that is the mechanism that is oh. the most inclusive. And if we, as people who came up in this culture don't recognize that and value that and really do our part to, to make that a reality and to keep that legacy going, we're, we're missing an opportunity. You know what I'm saying? And and we're, we as young OGs, right? Like as people who are not all the way old and not all the way young, if we miss the opportunity to, mm-hmm. to, to put on the older generation who now has the levels of power, and, and, and to not tell them like, yo, you need to shift it toward these young people and you need to shift it towards this culture. If we don't have those conversations, there's not gonna be those kind of opportunities. We're gonna continue to be left out. We're gonna continue to be marginalized and we're gonna be, con- you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and we're gonna continue not to co-opt it because they're gonna use our music and they're gonna use our freshness and our ideas and our styles to market product to make people rich that have nothing to do with our community. You know what I'm saying? How is hip hop a multi-billion dollar industry but we still have ghettos? That to me is confusing, right? You can't have a multi-billion dollar industry built on the backs of black and brown kids and then their environments are still fucked up and their hoods are still ghetto and and, and, and rough and you have all this shit going on. It's like this, where are the schools being built? You know what I'm saying? Where, where are, the, where, where are the, 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 the jobs? Like we need... <laughs> That's exactly what you said in your rhyme. That's exactly what you said in your rhyme. Like, how do we build yeah, new prisons? Like how we yeah, don't got how the fuck schools, we got you know? old broke schools? You said that in your prisons. rhyme. Like, we don't. I don't understand that. You know what I'm saying? And, but I, I, I do understand it now, having done the research. But rhetorically speaking, I just don't understand like how people can look at that disparity and look at that gross disbalance and not want to be able to fill that gap. And I think the only way that you really fill that gap and fix that is using this culture. It's not going to happen anywhere else. We need a self-destruction part two, you know, um, the, that it, song by KRS, you know what I'm saying? Like, and because you know why? Like hip hop has so much power and we don't realize it. We can either, we can either use this for something positive or right. we can self-destruct, you know what I'm saying? 
and we gotta use our voice for so because if you want to get through the youth yo politicians y'all want to get to the youth i'm sorry you gotta right, go through hip-hop yeah, but i think they know it you know like like if you you, you know you want to appeal you want to get your vote your vote sold all right well we're not convinced until the hip-hop community is convinced you know like no, i don't know but we were we rep- we represent the streets and the struggle. Like it, it, the voices of the hip hop culture came from like poverty, you know. Um, so, anyways, bro, like, w- what is it about San Francisco that just exudes inspiration and art? What is it about the Bay, dog? From from the from the Black Panthers movement to to like to just the civil rights movement out there, you know, like. What is it about out there that there's revolution in the air that, all the that's time? That's the legacy of the Bay Area, man. Going back all the way to like the 50s and 60s. Like you see what the hippie counterculture pro- mm. produced. You know what I'm saying? I just think the West Coast in general, if you study American history, everybody who came out to California was trying to escape some bullshit from the East. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When, when, when right? black people were given the right to vote or even when black people were released from slavery, they started moving out West to get away from the racist South, to get away from the fake race, you know what I'm saying? The fake phony racist Northerners. And they wanted to, you know, create a new frontier for themselves. So the further you go out West, the more liberal your thinking is because of, by virtue of the people who came mm. before you, who wanted to get away from those closed mindsets. So San Francisco and the Bay Area has always been that hub of, of we want something better for our lives than what we're being given. Like the hippie counterculture <coughs> was about white kids completely disregarding the status quo of the 50s and, and, and the bullshit that they were being told um, in terms of that creating the nuclear family and the White House and the picket fence and the American dream. They were rejecting all of that because they saw that it was bullshit. You know what I'm saying? They they saw that that was that was the smokescreen being put in front of people to hide from the fact that Americans were killing you know people all across the country and all across the world right like so like they rejected that notion and that that rejection came in the form of the hippie counterculture right black people in this country for hundreds of years have already known that this country isn't for us and we need to carve out spaces of of safety for ourselves and that was the black panther movement that you saw in the 60s so you just saw the bullshit of of what we recognize as american normality come to a head in the bay area in the 60s in the most tumultuous part of our history in the last hundred years you know what i'm saying they were the first people to speak up like no nah, right. this is wrong they were like they were like the first people to rebel like nah fuck that we're, we don't have yeah, to go like, to Vietnam. why are we going to Vietnam? part of that yeah the why we going to Vietnam? part you know, of that like, wave why? of change you know what i'm saying like you can't dispute what was going on in the south but the bay area that's was interesting really, like, man leading the charge of, of, of like literally revolution like when i talk about revolution i'm not talking about it in an abstract sense the bay area was the vanguard of leading revolution like we are going to uproot this entire fucking system and make something better right now unfortunately it didn't go as far as it needed to for us to create the utopia that we wanted but the legacy but the but the oh, legacy, we got work to do yeah we got bay work area to do still strong and it's cemented and it's still there's still remnants of it oh yeah throughout the bay area you go to oakland it it's it, it doesn't shock me that oh dude all the artists that i know are also activists and they're also educators and it's you know what i'm saying i'm not a unique story i'm literally oh, yeah. taking the pages from people who i already know in these in, in, in the same community we're all teachers we're all 
educators, yeah. we're all activists, we all work at nonprofits. Like, if we're not rapping, then we're working in, in, in the community. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you know, you, I, I, you know, I, 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 I show appreciation and respect for everybody doing this work. It's not just about me, it's about all of us on, on one level or another. You know what I'm saying? And we have different iterations of it. Some people are more well-known than others. Some people are quiet about this. Some people, you know what I'm saying, like to be on front stage and like to be on front street. And some people just like to be in the grind doing the work. And you got to respect everybody's approach. You know what I'm saying? I'm just one of those people that I like, like, mm -hmm. in, like in the song Moonlit. Uh, that you like so much I say I, like, I want my bouquet I, you know what I'm saying I say I want my bouquet oh, of flowers while I'm still around to smell them I don't want to be one of these martyred leaders in the in the movement who die broke and 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 are, are put on t-shirts and that's their legacy like I want to be able to be re re respected while I'm alive I want to be able to do the good work and see see some of the fruits of my labor while I'm alive you know what I'm saying at least in the lives of my kids you know what I'm saying? I'm a father, so like I want to see that. So that's that's been my motivation. So part of me wanting, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That be is crazy. Yeah. My man DJ Soros helped me. Nah, with that. That so shout out to DJ Soros. That beat is yeah, crazy, exactly. man. That's a vibe right there, my you know, G. So, <laughs> so yeah, a wild we, boy, know, son. It, it, it's it's important for me to to just be able to to do that work and to be seen for me doing that work as long as I'm around. And, and 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 the hope of that is to inspire the next generation for them to see him like yo i see the hustle he on let me try to get on that same hustle let me actually find a way to do it better you know what i'm saying like i'm not i'm not here to be able to be all in the end all you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. i want somebody to take whatever i do and mix it with what they are mix it with what tupac did mix it with about what, what huey p newton did mix it with what, what, what Marcus Garvey did, mix it with what Malcolm X did, mix it with, you know what I'm saying, what 21 Savage is doing, mix it with Run DMC, mix it with everybody and create their own brand of what's going to take us to the next level. <laughs> Yo, man, I give you so much props on your projects like the new Golden Era mixtape and barcodes. But uh, one thing that really struck me, man, was the algorithms for alchemy, the beat tape, boy. Oh my God, dude. You got some beats. And um, let me ask you something. W which one do you prefer? Uh, producing records or or making records? Like writing um, rhymes or making beats? As, which as one I, do you as like? As I get older, it's, it's becoming producing. Like I just, I, I want to be able to hear my beats on and, 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 and have my beats tell the story of other people other than myself. So that's kind of where I'm transitioning yeah. into, but let's not get it fucked up. I'm a rapper. Like that's, that's never going to change. It's yeah. going to be there. You know, I may add a couple melodies here and there, but I'm going to get rap. You're getting this work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that. I'm from that culture. Oh, yeah. 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 me. That is what has made me travel the world. That is what has given me every asset of success that I can think of is rapping. So you're always going to get that from me. Um, I love it. I enjoy it. I love rapping on my own beats. But I think the next the next project that I put out officially, the next full-on album is going to be not only my production, but production from other people. It won't be just self-produced. Um, and, you know, there's, there's I'm, I'm working towards that right now. And um, But I'm going to continue to put out self-produced work. Like, you're going to get a single from me every now and again. You're going to get a video from me every now and again of a record that I did by myself. Um, need the beat and the rhymes. I'm gonna put out more. I'm gonna put out more beat tapes. Nice, just like cool little beat tapes for people to vibe to. Um, I'm gonna continue to work with other artists. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I put out a song earlier this month, but I also have two artists that are putting out projects this week. 
that I produced that, you know what I'm saying? They're not my albums, but you know, they're, they're, they're my beats. You know what I'm saying? So like, look, check out the little MC album that's about to come out, Punisher Volume 2. That's about to come out on Halloween. I did all the beats for that. Uh, Lil Flower Nasty is an R&B artist um, out of San Francisco. I, she has a five song project. I did all the beats for that. Um, I'm working with other artists. So I, I, I love that. You know what I'm saying? And I love just the, the, the process of working with artists directly. Not just like selling my beats online or putting beats on YouTube. I like what the synergy of sitting down with an artist, writing a song to a beat that I produced and then recording it and then, you know, roll out plans and all of that. I love that, that whole process. And, and now, you know, in, 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 the, in the world of COVID, because we don't have live shows in the way that we used to, videos are a lot more important. So now I'm transitioning into like what it is to, to show people your music through the visual and through music videos. So like I'm trying to record five music videos before the year is done for myself, let alone other people uh, and, and work with other people in terms of their music and their videos and their visual representation creativity so it's just it's just evolution of creativity really like that's really what i'm looking forward to and what i'm really excited about nice what are some of the countries you've traveled to and learned to rock a show like i know you said you've traveled like what are some of the places oh, you've um, traveled to rock two main overseas? places i just just recently el salvador we went to el salvador for a week to teach beat to teach beat making and rhyme that's writing sick. And history, hip-hop and all of that um, so that was recent, and then I think the the the, the big one was Cuba. Um, Cuba changed my entire life. Like being in Cuba, I went to Cuba in 2014, and that was what made me say, "I want to be an artist for the rest of my life. I want to make a living off my art. I don't want to do this bullshit nine to five anymore." Cuba made me realize that it was possible because at that at that point in my life, I was just kind of going through it and trying to look for some answers and Cuba was my answer. Like being down there and having toured in Havana and seeing how people were receptive to my music even in another language and just how people appreciated arts and culture and all of that and working with like-minded artists from the States, even in Cuba, being with around other artists who were making a living off their art, either teaching dance or teaching filmmaking, whatever the case is, that just gave me so much motivation and inspiration to, to really do this for, for real, for real. So within a year, of me having gone to Cuba and toured down there. I quit my, my, my regular nine to five. I became a full-time teaching artist. I became a full-time artist. And even though I was broke as fuck and scared to death, I still made it work. <laughs> so you, what was, so you got booked for Cuba got, to do a I, show? I got permission there? to get an artist visa to do a cultural exchange program. So shout out to, um, Shout out to Meta Movements. Oh, they're, wow. they're a dance company out of Austin. Um, they plan these trips to Cuba every year for a group of people. And a friend of mine from high school, he had posted on Facebook that he wanted to bring people out there. Um, and I was down. Like I just saw the post and I said, I'm, I'm I, yeah, I want to go to Cuba. So he put me in touch with this with the, uh, his homegirl. Uh, uh, I think her name was Sheila. I think it was Sheila, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it may be something else, but if it is, I forget, and I apologize. But uh, she put the battery in my pack, yo. Like she told me like everything that I needed to hear to say, like, yo, sign me up. <laughs> How much does it cost? Okay, I'm going, and I went. Yeah. And I went for two yeah. weeks. I was in Cuba. I was in Havana, Cuba, for two weeks, and that that is what changed my life. Like I I would not be talking to you right now and be the artist that I am had it not been for Cuba. For real? I don't know. What is it about Cuba? 
What is it? What is it about Cuba yeah, that just, really open your eyes like, and change your I heart? Think you like, just oh, the, the, the culture, just when and, and that's the cliche generalization, but I think it's really the culture of people, right? It's, it's Afro Latino culture. Me being Dominican, my parents being from Dominican Republic, I relate to Afro Latino culture, right? Being able to speak Spanish, but you still have your African roots. They're very big on that in Cuba, and, and they really embrace their blackness, and I appreciated that about it. I had always studied Cuba because I was a big uh, student of Che Guevara and the revolution that he led down there with Fidel Castro. So I had studied Cuba and studied like its importance and relevancy as it comes to, as it talks about revolution and kind of withdrawing from like American imperialism and all of that. So it just had a, a certain place in, in, in my heart. Cuba had always had that place in my heart. Uh, Afro-Cuban All-Stars is one of my favorite albums ever. Uh, and like, just like in terms of salsa music and, and, and Latin music. Uh, so I just wanted to be in that environment see what that was and when I was there I, I understood I got it I, I understand why the music sounds the way that it does I understand why the people are as beautiful as they are um you know they were they're they're so intelligent nice work as fuck. they're intelligent and they maintain their dignity and it was all the things about humanity that I appreciate and love and want I saw it in this one place and it just breathed so much creativity. It gave me so much grounding and confidence to continue to pursue my dream that I just, I never looked back. I literally was not the same person when I came back. For real, you started looking at like your yeah. job. I know you worked in insurance, right? So for like 10 years and I know that when you I came back, it. how I did mean, you within look a year, job? Within like, a year, I quit my this. job. Within, a, within six months, I would say, I quit my job. Within six months of me coming back from Cuba, I was no longer working at that office. I was a consultant. They were still cons they were using me to, to continue to do work, and I was getting paid that way, and I didn't have to work in the office anymore. But then within a year of that trip, I was no longer working insurance. I stopped working insurance, and I was a full-time artist and artist educator. I love it, man. Congratulations, bro, for pursuing your dreams and the passion for hip-hop. Um, so, I know I was watching. I, I keep referring back you to the really interview because I did the like, research, really man. Did. I was you like, yo, this... Question. I'm like, yo, we got to save it for the interview, bro. I can't, can't give you all the answers now. No. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Um, you were saying something like, in New York, there's the industry right there in your front door front backyard but in San Francisco in the Bay it's not really like that but I find it interesting that so much independent hip-hop artists came out there that really made it big like E-40 short uh you know everybody JT the bigger figure everyone dog that really did it independent like what is it about the Bay that breeds independence and breeds like the, that hustle to like I think I know that was in the 80s but yeah, still there's have, something I, about I'm, the I'm bay bro down on my original statement right like the bay area doesn't have access to the major record labels like LA does and like New York does right like in New York you can know a guy that knows a guy and you end up in a record label like you know what I'm saying I'm a kid from Washington Heights my 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 brother's best friend was my neighbor and he was an intern at a record label like that's it was that close, literally. <laughs> it was that close. It was like, you know somebody who knows somebody. And also in New York, hip hop culture and the music industry is very much in, t in tune and entwined with the streets, 
right? You know what I'm saying? And the street life. So, like, just being mm-hmm. from the environments that we come from, you have a lot of street dudes who know people in the record labels and in the music industry. The music industry in and of itself, it was created by gangsters. Like, that's just, you know, we gotta, we gotta be real. And, and hip hop was created by gangsters. So we gotta like, yeah. we gotta recognize like all of these different things. So in New York, it's a lot easier for me to get my name known in, in certain circles in the music scene and then be able to at least get a meeting at a record label. I mean, it got signed off the, off the rip, but I can at least get a meeting. You can't do that in San Francisco. You know what I'm saying? If I, if I, if I pack a show so in, you th- in, in San so you- Francisco tomorrow mm-hmm. with 200 people, or 300 people going nuts, that's just a great show, right? If I do that in New York City, I'm getting a meeting at a record label the next week. If I do that in LA, I'm getting a meeting at a record label the next Mm -hmm. week, right? There are certain parts of the country where they Mm -hmm. have a hip-hop scene that regardless of how successful you are in that hip-hop scene, you may never be seen by the mainstream. You may never be seen by record labels or Mm A&Rs or whatever the case is, right? So that's always been the Bay Area's legacy. You don't have record labels out here. So the the drive to do it independently has always been there. You have hustlers. You have people who are just like, you know, I know how to flip this and make this. I can do it with music. E-40 is an example of that. Too Short is, is an example of that. You know what I'm saying? How they made their way to get to their major deals and, and work those out. That's that's for the history books, but that's, that's you know, that legacy is still there, you know? But I think that's just the industry as a whole is so saturated now that you're not going to have the, the, the major, unless you're viral success, you're not going to have the major labels come knocking down your door. So, yeah, word up. So what you're saying is like, so because that so what you're saying is since the bay doesn't have access to the industry right. they, that's where the independence exactly. comes from and the hustle to make it happen on their own and that's and that's and hip-hop pr- and you know produce it on their own that that spirit of making yeah. something from nothing is what hip-hop is about you know what i'm saying so that spirit of hip-hop exists in the bay exactly Area. Like, you know, like, the labels ain't gonna come to us we're gonna create our own labels and, and we're gonna, we don't I don't really care to sell exactly if I can sell 25,000 out my trunk around the around the way I'm straight <laughs> I'm straight so you know exactly I, I all of those dudes who, who were able to make it pop that way from out here yo unlearned man it's been a crazy year it's been a it's been a it's been quite a roller coaster and um there's a lot of tension in the air you know the elections coming up it's just from the pandemic to everyone that we lost everything man just shutting down the unemployment you know there's there's a lot of things that we can harp on but i always try to get on the good side of things um what's what have you learned about yourself as a man as a father or as an artist this year in 2020 like what are you what are the lessons you're taking Um, away from this crazy year you know uh, i'm old enough now to start confronting a lot of my own demons and processing life you know what i'm saying like really just getting into a space of health and really recognizing what the true meaning of success is for me and 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 just kind of coming to terms with my life just seeing all facets of my life and seeing who I was in different eras. You know what I'm saying? I think this this album, even unintentionally, was a kind of a catharsis for me. You know what I'm saying? Creating it and putting it out. And that wasn't the intention. The intention when I created this album was to celebrate. Like, I wanted to celebrate where I am, but you can't celebrate without reflecting on where you've been. You know what I'm saying? 
So I did a lot of reflection, especially mm. because of COVID and because of the pandemic, you're, you're trapped inside a lot. So you, you have a lot of time with yourself, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of that time, you, you have to be mm. on it. And I've always made it a point to be honest with myself. That, that's a key for me. Like, and I think it's mm. key for any artist. Like, if you want to be successful in this game, if you want to be successful in anything, you got to be honest with who you are and what you're capable of doing and what you are willing to do. You know what I'm saying? Because if you delude yourself, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment every single time if you delude yourself. So I make it a point to really be honest with myself. Mm. But this year, more than any other year prior, made me like really reflect on my life and being honest with my life and recognizing not only what I have, but what I need. And what I recognize for myself is what I need is I need to be able to process, heal, and let go. You know what I mean? If I'm going to be the success that I mm. want to be, if I'm going to, if I want to maintain the success that I have, I got to be able to heal and let go of a lot of different things that have gone on in my life. A lot of traumas, a lot of heartbreaks, a lot of disappointments. You know, we harbor so much resentment towards people and circumstances and this yeah. and this and that that we never recover from so they just sit and they exist in our brains and in our bodies like open wounds and I was just like that's no put it this way it's like fighting a 12 round fight with Mike Tyson right and you beat Mike Tyson but you don't beat him easy mm -hmm. he busts you up really bad like you mm -hmm. fucked up now after 12 rounds of fighting with Mike Tyson you gotta fight another 12 rounds <laughs> that's life that's life life is gonna beat you up and then you still gotta fight even after being beat up so I recognize for myself there's no way that I'm gonna be able to do another 12 rounds of this thing called life if I can't heal from the fights that I've already had you know what I'm saying you, you, you're not you're not gonna be speak on it brother speak on it drop that gem advantageous position to succeed if you still fucked up you know what I'm saying? If I just went through a fight and I still got the, the black eye, my eyes swollen, my arms hurt, my legs hurt, that, that's not putting myself in. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not putting myself in the You're best still fucked up. If I'm still hurt, I got to heal. So that, that applies you're to your emotions, that applies yeah. to your trauma, that applies to the brain, the, the brain you're thinking with. You got to allow yourself to heal and process through that as a means of accomplishing what you need to accomplish in the next phase of your life. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, yeah. I love so it, it's man. Just, you know, we, we Speak on often, it, brother. At least people like me, we come from environments where we didn't think we was living long. As, as a 13-year-old kid in Washington Heights, I, didn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't see mm. what 39 was going to be for me. I couldn't imagine it. Like, you couldn't tell mm. me, yo, at 39, you're going to be doing whoop-de-whoop-de-whoop. You're going to have two kids. And do. You, you couldn't tell me that at 13. You couldn't tell me that at 14. You couldn't tell me that at 21. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You couldn't tell me that at 25. You don't, you, the environment that I'm coming from does not breed longevity in the mind frames of young people. We don't think we're going to survive. We don't prepare mm. to survive that long. You know what I'm saying? This is why you. This is why you get OGs mm. who are still in the on, fuck up because they're OGs who never thought to see themselves older than what they were when they were in their 20s or when they were, they were teens. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, they just got stuck in that mentality. They got and they stuck there in that mentality. So now you wake up one day and you're 40 and you don't know where your life went because you weren't prepared for it. You know what I'm saying? So at, at this point, as long uh, as I got my health and my my awareness, I'm going to look at my life and say, damn. you know what? Like, all right, 
I got my health, I got my awareness, and what, what my awareness is telling me is that I need to heal these parts of myself in order for me to, to, to prepare myself for the next mm. wave of battle that's gonna be different than the last wave of battle, right? The, the last wave of battle was fighting. Damn. The last wave of battle was fighting poverty and, and, and being in a fucked up space and thinking about your bills and all of that. That was my last wave. That was part of my last wave. There was a lot of other shit going on, right? But that's part of my last wave and, and relationships and whatever. So now in this new wave, I don't have to worry about money as much. It's still concerned, but it's I don't have to worry about it as much. My life is a little bit more stable. It's a lot more comfortable. All right, well, how do I how do I maintain this this good road that I'm on? You gotta heal your shit. You gotta you still gotta, gotta start dealing with all your bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Confronting these hard truths about yourself. And whether you do that through therapy or you do that through music or whatever the case is, you just gotta, gotta start looking at yourself differently and start treating yourself better. You know what I'm saying? And being kinder to yourself. You know what I'm saying? And like just kind of working through those things so that in this new in this new ring that you're fighting in, you're more equipped to to, to battle and fight. And, and 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 find new levels of success because you've processed and you've let go of the old you and now you're you're a new version of yourself you've evolved so i, I recognize that and then i i want to continue to keep that motivation going i think it's just, you know you serve the community i think i think um self-healing is good for for us to serve the kids serve the communities in the bay i think because you're a healer bro you're a healer through music and i think to be a healer you gotta go through some self-healing for sure um you know what i'm saying and one thing i learned about this life unlearned is that guess what it's always changing you gotta you gotta gotta process that's 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 (laughs) the only thing for sure Yup, things change, man. And the things that we thought that was very stable, right. it turns out it's not. It's not so stable, you know. Um, so, yo, man, uh, any advice for the upcoming artists out there, the youngins, the ones that's in like in their early twenties now, get it, trying to get in this industry. You being a young OG, um, like all the experiences you had in New York and the Bay, and you know, the bullshit, the politics, the shadiness, you know? Um, what can you give um, them? With, what, yeah, what are the tips yeah, can you uh, give them? You know, what can they expect? Cliche, but like, you know, do your research on, on the game. Do your research on yourself. And, and, and really study. Really, like, be a student. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You gotta be a student of this game. You gotta, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Do you want this? You gotta be a student of yourself. You have mm. this self-mastery. They call it self-mastery for a reason because you have to conquer your own desires. And, and conquer your ego versus your soul and recognize the difference between the two of them. And, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, really have those sit-down conversations with yourself and not get caught up in the hype of the moment, not get caught up in the hype of viral success or numbers or uh, MC so-and-so got 30,000 streams on his one record that don't say shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just got to <laughs> run your own race. Yeah, I think we get, caught up, we get too caught up in running everybody else's race except our own. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we worry about, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you know, you're worrying about this brother, man. You're worrying about shorty over here. You're worrying about homegirl over here. You're worrying, you're worrying if this girl's going to text you back. You're worrying about all this other bullshit. And you're not, fixing, you're not fixated on what you need to do to become the best version of yourself possible. 
You know what I'm saying? You should start with the question is, how can I be my most authentic self? What do I what do I need? What does the universe need to provide me with for me to be my most authentic and most optimal self? Because there are two different things. Authentic is you being real. Optimal means the best version of it. You know what I'm saying? You could be the realest version of yourself, but still not be the best version. How can you be the realest and the best version of who you are? What do you need in your toolbox to become that? When you start asking those questions, the art will speak for itself. You will create better. You will make better music. And by virtue of making better music and making better plays and being smarter, you will reach whatever success you're looking for and really start to figure out what success means for you. You know what I'm saying? I think all too often we make the mistake of, the, of defining success mm-hmm. as the way mm-hmm. it was defined for us and not by us. You know what I mean? Like, we wake up one day and we're told what's successful. Oh, yeah, homeboy went platinum. That's success. And we believe that. And we accept it. And we agree. And we don't know what homeboy had to mm. go through. We don't know what homeboy mm. or homegirl had to do to get there. And we don't know if we're, we- we don't know if we're willing to do it ourselves. Mm. So you can't use that as the as the, as the 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 means of success. Yeah, you can't use that as the bar for success. You got to your own definition. Yeah. And the more and more you start creating your own definition on things, that's what's unlearned the world. <laughs> when you start recognizing, like, yo, I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to accept so, yo, what you're telling me. I want to create my own reality. So I'm gonna start defining what's important for me and create things on my terms. But in order for me to do that, I have to break down the conditioning of what I've been given. Yo, this this interview is dope, man. So, yo, man, like. I know you're a podcast host with Ratchet and Woke. What made um, you start you know, a podcast? I've been, I've been podcasting for the last 10 years. Like, low-key, I, I, <laughs> I used to have a podcast called It's All Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, you know, I, I did that for, like, three different seasons. Like, I have 30 episodes in my SoundCloud somewhere of me reflecting on elections and just mm-hmm. literally talking to myself as a means of therapy. Like, just, like, recording mm-hmm. myself and, and, and producing different segments and having music under it and like really producing a podcast in the way that I understand podcasts. So I had that experience. And then just like uh, last year around this time, uh, my girlfriend and I, uh, Lil MC, she, we decided like, yo, it'd be dope just to have our conversations recorded because she has a very different personality than me. I'm more mm-hmm. like, you know, socially conscious and woke and <clears throat> community oriented and she's community oriented too. But she's more outgoing and live and radical and like, you know, having a good time and like our personalities complement each other and they balance, you know, our our our, our uh, characteristics and the things that we like. So we were like, I think we, we speak to what a lot of people like, you know what I'm saying? We speak to a lot of what a lot of people are going through and, and that, mm-hmm. that duality that I was talking about earlier in the Bay Area. And we need to be able to capture that in our conversations over the microphone. So yeah, we we you know we started with the Ratchet and Woke podcast last year. We we did like a, maybe twelve episodes at this one spot, and then COVID hit, and then uh, we we try to start doing it on on Zoom uh, as a Facebook thing, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and then it just got to the point where um where now it's like you know we're we're, we're on Spotify and we're you know we, we're just kind of leveling up and like just starting to get into the second season of it and really have really have dope um conversations dope, and dope man. topics and dope interviews and you know we're gonna get you on the show and we're gonna talk your shit <coughs> oh, it's gonna man, be dope you know you. what i'm saying so you know <laughs> just, just trying to find you know new ways to express ourselves as, as artists and as creatives 
Yo, what's the inspiration? What's the inspiration behind the new mm. rock him? That's a very like I was like, oh shit! Like, what um, kind of feedback? It's one of my favorite records ever. It's one of my rock favorite him. verses I've ever written. Um, I would say that everybody who's heard it agrees. Um, you know, I think that the, the 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 term and the title is provocative, and I wanted it to be provocative, even though like. I didn't go into the song saying I want to create a song called the New Rakim. It was literally like I wrote this fire ass verse to this dope ass beat, and I didn't know what to name it. So I took the dopest line in the verse, <laughs> and I, I made it the name. And I just said, "All right, you know what I'm saying?" I said, "You know," um, I said, "I'm the new Rakim with a Mercedes Benz pendant," <clears throat> and I said, um, "That's gonna be the. I, I want that to be the name of the song because I think that that's gonna." encourage people to listen because if anybody who's a true hip-hop head knows Rakim and knows his legacy and knows his legendary status if they look at something called the new Rakim they're gonna look at that like hmm I wonder what this dude talking about and when they hear it they're gonna be uh I would I would think they're gonna be pleasantly surprised <laughs> that's that's fucking like that's really dope bro thank you so much for dropping that joint so I know you've rocked with so many artists, dog, from Daddy Kane to Jay Electronica to Dad Praz, Sky Zoo, every, like a lot of folks. Um, what's your top three cats you've opened up for? That's like legendary in your eyes. Like, oh shit, I can't believe I rocked their, that like, shit. Their, their performance that night or just in terms of their status in, in the hip hop? Or... Just the experience of like you'll never forget that show. Like, whoa, I opened up for that cat. Um, it, yeah, he, he yeah. rocked that uh, shit too. Like, it's, what are the what are the most memorable shows? Season show. Um, because not only did I feel like I, I had the best performance, besides them, I think I had the best performance the whole night. And I don't care. Everybody else on the on the bill was my homies, and I still feel like I had the best performance the whole night. And they they could try to prove me wrong if they want to, but they be wrong. Um, <laughs> so there's that I would say because um, I also got on I got to be on stage with them and perform um, I was I did ODB's verse for Protect Your Neck when they did that song so wow how so, did they did they you ask know, you like yo transparency man, is part did they of ask uh, Ghostface Killer's set he does it every show that he goes to or every show that he performs where he brings people on stage. It oh. just so happened that because I had performed earlier and people really fucked with my performance, that when they when they were doing that segment of the show, I just happened to be backstage and everybody kept on pointing to me like, yo, you need to go on there. And so everybody started pointing at me and they, they, they put the mic in my hand and I knew that verse. <laughs> like I had prepared for it, so I knew that verse, man. And you know? <laughs> And I think it just it just had a it had a special <laughs> level of relevancy because I had just performed earlier that night, so the crowd was already familiar with me. They already knew how I rocked it. So for for, for the, the optics yeah. of seeing this MC who they just found out about who really did this really great set now be on stage with Wu Tang, I think that 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 just was like a transcendent. Rocking with the Wu, yeah. In our, in our little community, that was like yo, like you know. Um, so yeah, I would say that that one yeah. record books is is is, is the most uh, impactful and important for me. Um, <clears throat> followed by uh, I don't know, I don't really know. Um, of recent, I you know I, I opened up for Ghostface again in Sacramento, and um, that was a, an amazing show. That was the last show I did, literally, in in almost a year. It's gonna be a year. Um, because I went on a three-month hiatus and then COVID hit, so I wasn't able to perform when I was gonna come off hiatus. 
So the last show, the last live show that I've done right up. in that to that capacity was a ghost face show in Sacramento. And that was that was a dope show too. How how was how was it uh, um how was um, it opening came, for Daddy Kane? <clears throat> how was Daddy Kane set? The definition of hip hop, bro. Like there's nothing you can tell me that 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 says that that old is 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 no good. Like he didn't lose a beat. He still dances. He still has his breath control. He can still rock the crowd. He still keeps them engaged. You know what I'm saying? Just because the youngins, just because the youngins may not be familiar with yeah, him yeah. and know his work, doesn't mean that like there's not an audience out there that remembers that and, and that he can still give it to them. You know what I'm saying? Like so that was that was a blessing. That was really a blessing. I didn't yeah. get to build with him or talk to him or even meet him, but I remember watching those live shows during that tour and just being blown away by like the level of energy that he gave at every time. <laughs> So now I gotta ask, yo. All right, Coogee rap or rock? Kiss? Oh man, that better. Uh, as far as like, be- you know, who made who better, made better music? music? Um, who made better? Music? You're gonna have to go with rock. Kiss. In terms of better yeah. music, I think the better rapper. Nice. The, uh, or not, I can't even say he's the better rapper. I would just say Rock him all the way. You know what I'm saying? I think Rock him made the better music. I think Rock him. Nice. His flow was more unique. You know what I'm saying? Coogee Rap, though, you don't listen. I'm, I'm not saying this as a disrespect to Coogee Rap. Coogee Rap is a goat. He's one of the goats. Like, I, 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 a lot of my early style yeah, was yeah. much informed by Coogee Rap and Big Pun. And I liked Big... I love I loved Big Pun because yeah. I thought he reminded me of Coogee Rap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Like yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like so, like, descendants. you know, the album 456. You know, that's like... Like that was my jam for a minute, you know. So, you know, I'm I, I can't I come in at the later end of Coogee Rap's like career as a as a legendary MC, but um Rakim, like that's that's the reason I listen to hip hop. <laughs> Alright, um Daddy Kane or or KRS. Period. Period. Period, period, period. I, I, I say that with bias because right. I just went on tour with, with KRS one last year. So I know I know from firsthand yeah. experience that that man is hip hop embodied in human being. Like that's there's no there's nobody better. Period. I don't give a fuck who you think. KRS one is the best. <laughs> Dog that I, I I meant to ask you that too, man. Like, how was that like? Just doing shows with KRS, the energy, those, like, yeah, like KRS is you know? one of those people that, like, <laughs> at least for me, because I've, I've heard various when I, when I was gonna go on tour with KRS, I started hearing all these different stories out of the woodwork. Like, everybody got their opinion, everybody had their own experience. So I wanted to see it for myself. And KRS is one of the very few icons or celebrities that I met that was exactly as I wanted him or thought that he would be. He's exactly the way that I thought he was going to be. Very accessible, very open, you know, open-hearted, really cool. Everybody, like, gives everybody love, like, you know, and it's just really down for the call. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I I remember the last show we did, it was in Petaluma, and he just went on this, like, I don't know, even like a 25-minute rant about, like, the universe and purpose and all of this. And it was literally, like, he was saying thoughts out of my own brain. So I'm watching one of my idols say things that I think about and feel and it was like a very uh, emotional moment for me. You know what I'm saying? Just to be in that environment and to see one of my heroes like just rapping. I'm literally sharing the stage with him. It was just like great. It was Hell yeah. Powerful. Hell yeah. Um 
All right, Jadakiss or Fabulous? Jadakiss. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like Fabulous. I, I like Fabulous, but Jadakiss is like Jadakiss. Is, he, he he hits harder. You know what I'm saying? Like Fabulous, like he slick talks. And he, he he he's dope, but but has that has that grit that I need my MC to have. You know what I'm saying? Black 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 Thought or Royce? Black Thought. Black Thought has to be one of the best rappers who ever who's ever lived. Like rapper, rappers, not hit maker, not songwriter, rappers. Rapper. When we just come to being an MC in the way that hip hop has been created, it's Black Thought. There is nobody better in that lane hip-hop. than Black Thought. Rapping, <laughs> like really rhyming. Yeah. Um. Most deaf or common? Most deaf. <laughs> uh, okay. Meth. Uh, meth. Why? Why? Why is that? Why you pick most deaf over common? Because meth. Because uh, most deaf's music has better shelf life, and his career. Um, I think his legacy as an MC is more impactful than common. Common has bigger records. I think. I think he has more hit records, but his longevity is he. he the, he didn't have as much shelf life. He has more accolades than most, but most is a better rapper. When you say shelf life, like his music, um, most most Def has aged better in terms of his ability as a rapper than Common has. I think Common has fell off, even though he does have those accolades. He has the the, the Oscar and all of that. I think his ability as an MC has has waned a little bit in the later years. Whereas I think uh, most Def is. is, is just as dope as he's ever been. <laughs> if when he wants to be, huh? Whenever, whenever he wants to do it, like he'll come yeah, back just like he, that. Yeah, whenever he turns it on, he'll turn it on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Whereas, like Common, I don't think can turn it on anymore. Nah, well, I don't think I, I don't think so. I seen I seen when he performed at the at the All Star Weekend and it was horrible. <laughs> what do you mean like like he wasn't like the same he was rap- he was like you know he was rapping he did some rap for the all-star weekend last last year and it was just like it was just bad it was just bad like every time they get common to rap in a in a in a public space it just hasn't he hasn't performed well over the last few years and i don't know if that's because he's been doing the acting or the voiceover stuff i don't know like where his heart is in terms of hip-hop or music but it just doesn't seem like it's in it's, it, he doesn't seem in it whereas like mm. you know most deaf is still doing shows and still as powerful as ever and it's like trying to find ways to make things unique and still keep his underground and his uh his core following happy so you know i would say yeah most deaf. red 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 man or method man method man Ooh. i always thought Method Man. I thought I, for for Cool Man, I was like Red Man is better, but Method Man has aged better. Method Man raps better than most rappers now. Um, who's the who's your top? Who's how would you rate Griselda for the top three? Like who would be one, two, three? Like okay. who's? Um, we got West Side. We got that's yeah, yeah. Conway and then Benny. I think yeah. Who? I think so Benny and who'll be second? Benny, Conway and then West Side. Really? Wow. Okay, okay. Word, word, word. All right. Shout out to their affiliates like Bodie James and like uh, Stove God Cooks and like all those other dudes that like are similar in that in that lane and Rock Marciano. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't mention Griselda without mentioning those guys. 
Vila or Tribe? Tribe. Stop. What? <laughs> okay. Word up, word up, word up, word up, word up. Um, but, uh, T.I. or Jeezy? Oh, the, like the verses? I, I'm, I'm a, no, not I even. Was, not even. I was, not li- even. Nah, I was listening. I was listening to an argument about this earlier, and people were going with Jeezy, and I was like, Nah, you, you tripping? Ti is gonna run this shit. Ti, I think I, Ti over Jeezy. Jeezy, and that, and not, not by much though, because Jeezy got, he has like sleeper, uh, he has sleeper street anthems that go crazy. You know what I'm saying? D- really like, you know, go nuts. Uh, D- I think Ti is just an album. What's next? Ti, you think Ti Ti got you think Ti is gonna win over Jeezy? Ti, yeah, yeah. All right. Dmx or Eminem? Oh, um, <laughs> that's a tough one. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say Eminem. Ooh. I'm, I'm more of an Eminem fan than I am a Dmx fan, and that's not to say really? that I don't like Dmx. I fuck with Dmx. Um, I just fuck with Eminem a lot more. I know more. I know more Eminem songs off the top of my head than I know DMX songs. So I'm gonna go with Eminem. Eric Sermon or Parrish Smith on rapping? Who was better, Eric Sermon or Parrish Smith in rapping? I would say Parrish Smith. Woo-hoo-hoo. That might be um, a hot take for some people, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say PMD. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Uh-uh. Three, uh, three stacks or big boy? As a rapper, rapper? Yeah. Uh, I gotta admit, big boy is. Whoo, he got fine too. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, people, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with big boy only because big boy is more consistent. Ah, right? exactly. Uh, but I, but in regards to that, mm-hmm. I do feel like three stacks is one of those like most that can turn it on just like that. Right, he, he creates moments like anytime. Right, that, he'll, he he yeah, can turn it on just like that. Yeah, real. anytime that that three stacks for wants to real. wants to poke out, poke his head out and make a statement, he does. Oh, but, for sure. But Big Boy is is in it, and he's he doesn't leave, and he's there. So you just got to give props to consistency. So big. Yo, that's my bad. That's my bad. Cool. All right, so we were all right. So, Prodigy or Havoc? Prodigy. Mm. Big pun or cannabis? Pun. All right, word, word. Um, Slum Village or Tribe? Tribe. All right, Primo or Rizza? Primo. <laughs> All right. That's a that's a bias, but I know I know people like Rizzo more, but I'm gonna say Primo. Pete, Pete Rock or Primo? Primo. Woo! Dre or Timbaland? Timbaland. What? It's a, it's, a, it's a hot take, but I'm, I'm gonna go with that. Why is that? Um, he does more with sound. Um sound design and and original melodies than most other producers can ever dream of doing so mm. <clears throat> but Dre's mixing ability and his drums are like legendary but the way that 
Timbaland can produce and craft a record literally out of nothing, not even using a, a traditional sample, is mm. otherworldly. Public Enemy or NWA? Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with NWA. Woo! That might be a hot take also, because I, I can I only know one Public Enemy song. Like I only I know the one. I know 911 is a joke, and I know Fight for Power. I know a lot. I know I know at least five NWA songs. You know what I mean? Foxy or Little Kim? Little Kim. I love Foxy, but Lil' Kim is, is, is the pro. Latifah or Lauren Hill? Lauren Hill. Woo! I love Latifah. She she only had to do the one album. The Miseducation is the female version of Illmatic. Mm. That's a good take. That's a good take. I love that. Yeah. All right, let's, let's make it complicated right now. Nas or Jay-Z? Um... Oh, I, I'm. That's a tie. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna <laughs> that's gonna be a tie. Like Nas, Nas is the truth. Yeah, no, the Nas is the truth. I think that they go through these bouts where, like, they both are trying to prove who's aging better. Oh um, yes, it's I still going that, on. Think, it's still yeah, going think, on right I think now. Nas, I think Nas is aging better, but you can't count out Jay for anything. The last okay, I think 444 was lyrically on point. I wasn't too impressed with the production, but I think lyrically it was on point. I think it was on point, but I think he was doing what Life Is Good had already done five years before. Mm. I think No ID is a great producer, but for some reason, I was expecting a different No ID sound. That's my point. My No ID was on the Life Is Good album. Right, <laughs> he was featured there. It was like no ID production, uh, large professor, a bunch of other people who did Life Is Good, and it was a better Jay Z. Jay Z, ch- yeah, Jay Z tried to get on that sound, but it didn't. It, it wasn't the same. It wasn't yeah, the same. The grown man, yeah, because Jay Z was going for grown man rap, which was in, encapsulated in like I like, I like the content. I, I like what Jay Z was talking about. On 444, I love the vulnerability. I just wasn't too impressed with the production. Now, with the Nas, I think with this new King's Disease, I think Hit Boy really laced him. Um, Hit Boy laced him, man. Made him sound fresh again. I mean, he was always fresh, but made him 2020 fresh. Like, you know, this is the new Nas that you should spit on. What would you think about the new Nas? Loved it. New Nas album. Album of the year. Are you ready for this buster? Are you ready for this buster? I'm, I'm with bated breath. I'm waiting. I can't wait. I cannot wait for this album. <laughs> uh, what you think about this new belly? Loved it. Loved it. I think, you know, I can, I, I can add criticism, but if you're if you're already a Benny fan, then you just give him a pass. I'm a Benny fan, so. What'd you think of what you think of the new Conway? Um, King the God was amazing. Amazing. I think yeah, both of them up the flow. I, I think up both the of flow. them created polished versions of themselves. Oh yeah. And I, I really think yeah I really think these last albums that they put out um, these, these last Bentley and Conway I think production wise they're getting it finally right you know like like it's sounding more polished and it, it just sounds 
that I still hear the underground and the analog in them. I still hear it. I still hear the lo-fi in them. You know what I'm saying? But now I think the sounds are getting more polished too, giving them some new sounds and new vibes. You know what I mean? Um, they're becoming great song. It just they're becoming growth. yeah. They're they're becoming great songwriters. Exactly. Not just bars. I know they can black out all day. I know they can. Like, 100 bars all day. I know. But these last albums, it made them great songwriters. Yeah, totally. Um, yo, man. I know I don't want to take too much of your time, bro. I know you're a busy man. Yo, Unlearned Man, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, bro. Before we go, um, I just want to plug into the peoples out there, you know. Y'all got a cop that album all right the light years you know what i'm saying y'all gotta stream that on all platforms right now and do you want to plug in your back at my g yeah just unlearn the world everything is unlearn the world so Bandcamp, spotify facebook anything that you want to find me on is unlearn the world so just unlearn the world.bandcamp.com and y'all can just type unlearn the world unlearn the world and all these on all digital platforms and this work will show up you got mixtapes, beat tapes on the on the Bandcamp. Um, y'all keep tuning in to a Ratchet and Woke. It's on Spotify too. And any other any any other um, last words unlearned? Nah, man. I appreciate the love. I appreciate all the support. I appreciate the conversation, man. And you know, keep doing what you do. And you know, we're gonna we just gonna gotta support each other. You know what I mean? So, um, Taylor I'm to Marlins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm going to hit you when we get off, man. And uh, thank you so much for your time. And Andy Podcast, another another classic show. Thank you so much for joining me, bro. We did it. Peace, peace. Peace, peace. One love, G.